Ladies and gentlemen, this is season three of the Middling Pop Culture Podcast Peak Show. And Andrew is here with me today to discuss the trajectory, tropes, and peaks of the X-Files. Uh, we're still in TV town, at least for one more episode, and uh, pick the X-Files because it is a huge part of the reason why I identify as a bisexual woman. Uh, but who better uh, than, than Andrew Jupin, host of the We Hate Movies podcast and X-Files fan, to talk about... Uh, talk about the X-Files here with me today. Now, actually, Andrew, we've had two of your esteemed colleagues. Uh, actually, we've had a few because we've had uh, Steven Sadek on here to talk about Mike Myers. Uh, Eric Sisko was part of our Star Wars Super Month. And uh, your disaster uh, expert, Justin J. Case, also was uh, part of our M. Night Shyamalan episode. But uh, I actually, mm. we should start by uh, talking about We Hate Movies. So, um, you guys are doing kind of a new sideshow right now every Monday. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we started to get into uh, live streaming. So every Monday at noon Eastern, we do a show called On Screen Live, which is sort of a version of a show we used to do for years, kind of off and on, where it was like an excuse for us to talk about new stuff, TV that we were watching, things like that. Um, so we said, hey, let's just uh, do it live and do it on YouTube and uh, toss out the audio a few days later. So that's what we're doing. Uh, Mondays at noon, youtube.com slash we hate movies on the channel. All four of us usually are there uh, broadcasting about box office numbers, stuff we saw the week before. We kind of look at new trailers. So, you know, it's kind of like heady, nerdy, you know, entertainment box office stuff. And also our, you know, bread and butter making fun of things. Uh, yes. So, yeah. And and do not always do bad movies. Um, you guys actually uh, just this past week released on your Patreon an episode on one of my favorite movies because I am a film bro trapped inside a petite woman's body, uh, which is The Big Lebowski. So um, love everything that you guys are sure. doing on Patreon. Um, and uh, Thank you. I this is getting released. Uh, <laughs> so this is getting released first week of March, I believe. And so that means you're going to be up to your elbows in... Um, listener request month and i know because i've been listening to your show for about 10 years that you famously have had a bit of a historically hard time getting through listener request month so do you have any messages for future andrew as he attempts to slog through this month yeah it's uh traditionally my uh least favorite time of year on the show so i would say to future self uh you know push on through it keep a level head stay off of the you know the late night taco bell and remember on the other side of March, you got a whole month full of monkey movies that uh, we'll be doing. So I have that to look forward to after I slog through whatever random garbage we inevitably wind up doing in March, because that's always what happens with listener requests. So, Andrew, a tradition that we have here on Peak Show uh, is um, for you to share with myself and our audience about a time in your life that you would describe as peak Andrew. So 
Can you tell us a moment in your life that is peak Andrew? Well, one of the one of the ways I would qualify peak Andrew is my ability to fall asleep almost under any circumstance uh, and stay that way. Um, you know, when we go on tour, you know, I will fall asleep before the plane takes off and I will wake up when we're deplaning like that sometimes is how hardcore I can get. Uh, so sort of a peak moment of that for me was the night after my high school prom. Uh, we went to the big party at the lake house, total fucking cliche. Um, and I sat outside uh, on a nice like Adirondack chair, had my feet up uh, and totally fell asleep at like two o'clock in the morning. And uh, for where I grew up in upstate New York, uh, May, like, you know, mid late May, not really a time for snowstorms, uh, but it just so happened that that year a snowstorm hit uh, my area and I woke up with like two inches of snow on my body. So like it started snowing and I stayed asleep long enough to have my entire body head to toe covered in snow before I woke up and went, <laughs> am I dead? Like what is, <laughs> what happened to me? Uh, so yeah, hardcore, hardcore sleeper. I am just picturing your eyes shooting open and being like a Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining kind of moment. Like, yes, absolutely. It was like very close to it. Uh, it was so yeah. fucked up and stupid. But, and you know, I won't say that booth uh, didn't, uh, you know, play a role in it. But um, yeah, I can sleep through anything. Well, I and uh, your Legion <laughs> fans are glad you survived. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so then we obviously uh, also like to talk about our history with the X-Files, as I mentioned. I, I wasn't a watcher of the X-Files for the most part when it was running. Um, mm -hmm. I was, you know, I, cause I was four when the X-Files debuted. Um, there's like a common theme on this show of me being, uh, a, me revealing that I was allowed to watch certain things at far too young an age, like the aforementioned <laughs> Shining, which I saw in the third grade and loved. Nice. Oh, my parents were in, in every sense of the word on paper, terrible parents, but I, they they were also <laughs> in many other ways, amazing parents. Um, but I didn't have an interest in the X-Files at a super young age, not until about the end of the series. Uh, or the original run of the series, I should say. Um, so yeah, it's been kind of weird. You watched a bit more contemporaneously as I understand it. I did, yeah. So I had um, a, a friend, uh, like a, a very brief flirtation with a friendship uh, with this guy when I was in the sixth grade. And uh, we started this thing where every Friday, uh, I went over to his house every Friday night. And, you know, his parents, um, also didn't give a shit uh and and so like they did not care what he watched at all which was exciting for me because i came from a household of like what's going on in there what are you watching <laughs> um so you know for me it was really cool that was how actually i found out about like the friday the 13th series like i remember that just airing one night on the uh, t or tnn or <laughs> something something back in the 90s you know so edited for television but i was still like oh my god what is this um and so you know at the start of the show's run and like up through midway through like the fourth season it was on friday nights here in the states and so he just introduced me to the show and it was the start of the third season i think and i just like totally fell in love with it and uh the first episode god damn what was oh it was the um the Giovanni Ribisi Jack Black episode, which the titles his initials. I cannot remember any of these titles. Like I've tried. Uh, 
yeah. yeah. Oh, DPO, because he's like Darren Peter or something. Mm -hmm. So so DPO is the episode, and it's where like Giovanni Ribisi, who is a baby, mm -hmm. uh, and Jack Black, also a baby at the time of the, the <laughs> filming that episode, uh, Giovanni can like control lightning or something. And I was just like, what is this show? And he was like, oh man get this it's all like government conspiracies and aliens like you saw one that was just monsters and so like i was just boom like right from the jump and that became my fridays you know because also like in the sixth grade unless you are like being driven to someone's house uh for like what was essentially like a dinner time play date I'm staying home on a Friday, you know, like we didn't really like in my family, we didn't go to the movies like as a family really all that much. So like when I was that young, television was it. So, yeah, I became rapidly obsessed with the X-Files and, you know, also that, you know, lead in thing. I was watching sliders like a fucking jerk, and, you know, so, yeah, 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 huge fan from like, God, how old was I? Like 10, 11, yeah. maybe something like that. Yeah. That is very sweet. Um, yeah, like I, I think when I first became aware of the X Files was when uh, The Simpsons was leading into it, and that is a show that I watched. Mm. I mean, I was born in June of '89, so I was I was probably watching The Simpsons from like from the fucking cradle. Yeah. Um, so I was familiar with the theme song of the X Files, and as mm. a little little kid, it scared me quite a bit. Um, Just with, the song or like the intro yeah, montage? Yeah. Uh, probably the intro montage at the time as well but like the whistling and stuff it was you know for yeah. for a kid who watched scream in the first grade i found creepy much scarier than gory as a kid mm -hmm. um yeah. but i um so it should come as a surprise to no one that i first figured out what the x-files was actually about because of the episode the springfield files <laughs> um, yes. and i was like I, I remember as a kid being amazed that these two actors would make fun of their own show and make fun of their own characters. And I've always, always as a kid, I had a soft spot for people who were willing to make fun of their their own projects. Um, yeah. You know, and that was back when The Simpsons actually did affectionate parody very, very well as well. Um, then, that, I mean, that yeah. episode, like, I mean, it is the best of how to do that. Shy of like when Lovitz went on as the critic, um, which is just kind of like they're too close so it doesn't really count you know but like the commitment of um of both uh Duchovny and uh Gillian Anderson I mean that's why it works they're you know they're not too cool for it you no. know because you can hear it when someone's like doing voice work as a cameo as like a big celebrity or something and they're like kind of too cool for it those two are in it and that's why it is so hilarious i i do love that line of like this is one of the worst things we've ever done like worse than when we were attacked by that flesh eating but no this is far yep. more irritating yep, um, no, or you know when she's like uh or, or because uh what's this test for scully oh God. nothing i just thought i could stand to lose a little weight it's jiggling it. is hypnotic i mean it's just god damn it's so great i it watched it maybe like i don't know a week and a half ago or something what very recently oh yeah yeah. So, um, but I will say the thing that actually drove me into X-Files fandom beyond like staying up, you know, past King of the Hill for the occasional episode was another movie that you guys have done on your podcast, which is Final Destination. Because uh, oh, yeah. when I was in the sixth grade and got my first DVD player, I um, like, <laughs> I say this not in a self-pitying way. I didn't have a lot of friends as a kid. Mm -hmm. DVD commentaries were my friends. Um, Hell yeah. I, 
Yeah, I've also said that I think part of the reason my parents were fine with me watching violent shit uh, as a kid was because my parents weren't worried that I was going to grow up to be a bad kid. My parents were very worried that we were going to grow up to be nerds. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, we kind of are like my siblings and I, like my brother's a fucking computer engineer. My sister's a physicist and I run a Ooh. podcast. So, yeah, nerds, yeah, all of us. That's a trio of huge nerds right there. Very different nerds, but nerds all the same. Yeah, I'm an underachieving nerd. <laughs> but uh, but um, I was uh, listening to the DVD commentary for Final Destination. And that was when I learned that. Well, I think that was also how I learned what a spec script was as a kid. Um, oh, okay. And learned that uh, that Morgan and Wong had done it initially as a spec script. And then it got rewritten as this teen slasher. And I, I remember thinking, oh, well, that's not like Gleep Gloppy Aliens. That's more like supernatural and a little bit conspiratorial and so that was when i started diving into it um and then there was the release of the dvds which came out when i was in high school um i happened to be taking uh it was in grade 12 a um a film and video production class and that was and i think every teenager especially little uh film nerds go through this i was really like fetishizing the um like the low budget, really into romanticizing low budget productions of everything. And so my friends and I did our, like, I think it was a project to show that we knew how to use the different elements of Adobe Creative Suite, like did our own version of the X-Files opening credits with the bad oh, clip nice. art and shit. And, you know, <laughs> like, you know, we thought we were the edgiest teenagers in the world, but um, I didn't see either movie in theaters. I was too young for the first and I somehow like missed the existence of the second one. Which oh, I was really? looking, I was looking it up and it came out right the week after the Dark Knight and I was one of those like super stoked to see the Dark Knight then didn't care about any other movie that summer I guess and mm -hmm. I like picked it up for like fifty cents on DVD the next year I was in my first year of university and I was like oh this is bad yeah oh fifty cents I mean way too much for that movie. <laughs> Um, I saw both of the movies in theaters. The first movie uh, actually had a weird reputation around the multiplex that I came up at uh, working because it was two years before I started working there, but um, a dude died in the theater watching the X-Files movie. And when I came to work at this theater, one of the guy, the guy who found him was oh like an assistant manager or something. And he was like, yeah, man, theater five fucked up stuff and I was like, what do you mean and he was like when i was an usher just like you are now a guy died and that was the first time i was like oh fuck yeah of course like people probably die at the movies all the time oh <laughs> shit uh so 20 years on in the business i've not seen anyone else die in a theater uh but that was really trippy uh but i remember being a kid and like totally being in i mean at this point when that movie came out i was in like middle school um but totally in for it loved it i actually literally just rewatched it uh this afternoon for the first time in a minute i think it is the best um like tv show to film adaptation outside of like a big franchisey like star uh star trek kind of thing yeah um, i would agree but then that second movie, which I also saw in theaters, and I had no idea what to expect. I went opening weekend, and I remember very specifically going to a theater in the East Village that I frequented quite a bit, walking in, and they were like, oh, yeah, you know, it's theater, whatever, like down the hall, and then you have to like go to the left, and there's this little staircase, and then go through this door, and that's where the theater is. And I was like, 
I have come to this movie theater dozens of times. What auditorium is she talking about? And this was like how poor the pre-sales were for this movie on opening weekend that the theater had designated it into this like small ass closet auditorium. Uh, and it was me and like two other weirdos at like a five o'clock screening on like the Saturday. It was so depressing. And then I got it. Like I watched the movie and I was like, oh, everybody was right except for me and those two people. Because it's know, you know your movie's gonna do great when besides the two main stars, your big get is Amanda Peet. Saving Sullivan's oh. Amanda Peet. Yeah, we got Amanda Peet exhibit and <laughs> uh Billy Connolly's in that movie. Yeah. As a guy, he's a, a a defrocked priest who had like molestation charges against him. And you're supposed to like feel bad for that. Oh dude. yeah. Like, I mean, and incredible. The the X-Files does play with a lot of like morality questions a lot and it does it really, really effectively. It mm -hmm. goes down like it goes over like a lead balloon in that movie because. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. And I just also feel like and we'll get into this, but the um, I feel like they weren't always consistent with Scully's, uh, you know, issues of her being a woman of faith, because sometimes it went really back and forth. Sometimes it played this really big uh, part. But like, I, I don't know, maybe it was that it was too hard to write the um you know the reconciling of her being a woman of faith with a woman of science and yeah i i mean i think that's what it is it's a lot to juggle right because yes. already she has to be this like scientific skeptic in the face of all all of Mulder's shenanigans like that's literally her assignment in the pilot right and so i think just to have her also then be this person of immense faith as this catholic like it just it doesn't I mean, it could be interesting, but that would have to be like the whole show. Yes. That's like a Scully, a Scully spinoff or something. Scully's religious debacles. But yeah, well, I don't know. We had a Scully spinoff. It was called the eighth and ninth seasons. Um, but um, <laughs> Wow. Take that dog it and Reyes. Wow. You just spit in their faces. Not a fan. Um, mm. But uh, <laughs> Uh, I know, I know I'm in the minority. I know a lot of people actually like Doggett. I'm, nah, I, I don't hate him, but, um, yeah. no, like I sometimes also feel like, uh, being a female fan of the X-Files and I've, I've said this on our Star Wars episode as well. I always had to be careful how I mentioned liking the X-Files, especially when I was around that like university age, because, um, even at that point I wasn't, uh, I had watched a lot of the monster of the week episodes but i knew like okay i'm gonna have to set some time aside to really invest in the myth arc develop a lot of opinions about it so if i mentioned being a fan of the x-files i knew that i was going to end up being grilled by some guy with like kind of bad facial hair and razor burn who asked me all these questions that i was not prepared to answer um, but the one time when it actually worked out really well was, uh, one of my first days at my first job, just outside of university, I was an editor at a magazine and our, uh, our IT guy, associate publisher was bringing in food for our production night. Cause we're, you know, staying till midnight to put the magazine together. And he said, when no one was looking, I put my boys in the coleslaw and I just go, Oh, I love that episode of X-Files. And he, uh, was like, Oh, you're an X-Files fan. And that, that, that man turned out to be Albert Isaac. No, but he did turn out to be my husband. Um, wow, get yeah. out of town. As it oh, turns that's out, cool. As it turns out, he also is not that big of an X Files fan. He just likes to make jokes about putting his balls in coleslaw. Like he wow. just no. He he had seen that episode, and the one way to get my husband to pay attention to something is to make a really crude joke like that. So yeah. 
Does he really love that one sketch on uh, the MTV comedy show, The State? Uh, do you know what that is? We the, don't yeah. get MTV here. <laughs> oh, so I don't know if where it would have aired then for you all. It was um, like Michael Ian Black and Joe Latrulio and all those oh, like, okay. folks. It was a sketch show that they had. And there was one, I don't remember the specifics of it, but it's like Michael Ian Black is at some social situation. Maybe it's a dinner or some sort of gathering. And it's like, uh, oh, something, something looks great. The sauce looks great. I'm going to dip my balls in it. And that is just the repeated gag uh, in that sketch. So your husband may fucking love it. It may become his favorite comedy sketch of all time. Almost definitely. Um, <laughs> so uh, we get into the history and like, this was a this was a dense show to get into the history of our, our recording could be entirely X-Files history if we did. <laughs> so this is the abridged version, obviously, uh, series creator Chris Carter, uh, who uh, he described himself in an interview that I really liked as a child of Watergate, you know, one of those mm, young boomer, yeah. um, you know, that gave him an interest in government conspiracy growing up. Um, and he was uh, in childhood a fan of, you know, classic shows, Twilight Zone, Kolchak the Night Stalker, which I've heard so much about, but I have never seen an episode of. Kolchak the Night Stalker, well worth your time. As a matter of mm -hmm. fact, that's one of the great, um, it's not my, it wouldn't be my answer to your upcoming guest question, mm -hmm. um, but Darren McGavin on the episode that he's on when he's like this dude that used to work with Mulder's dad and they're talking about like the old days in the FBI in the fifties, like it's a close enough, like Kolchak crossover, but 100% huh. would check it out. The first episode, like the pilot, I think it's like 90 minutes long. And this dude is hunting for Jack the Ripper for some reason, like totally worth your time. I'm I'm down for it. Um, I love reading about Chris Carter's early career because uh, he was kind of this like studio writer for hire um, and how many failed like comedy pilots he had. I Oh, really? Ooh. Oh, he had one that and this was what indirectly led to the X-Files uh, pilot called Cool Culture, which was a surfing comedy. Uh, he also had some family yes. comedies, but it was a uh, cool culture that put him in touch with uh, Peter Roth or Roth who soon after became head of television production at Fox. And this was in, so this is where, and I love talking about the history of Fox. We cover this a lot in our Simpsons Super Month, uh, but Fox was prior to the Simpsons, a joke of a network. It was a bottom feeder network. And in the immediate years between the Simpsons and the debut of the X-Files, it was riding this wave of sudden success. It had the Simpsons and then it was bolstered by cops, America's Most Wanted, the continued swell of married with children. Uh, oh, still. Yeah. Yeah, still not yet at having the NFL rights, but the X-Files was part of that first big wave of originals that it was trying to get behind. Um, it was given a budget of $2 million for the pilot episode. I tried to do some research to contextualize that and figure out, is that a lot of money in 1992 pilot dollars? And I don't think it is. Uh, as recently as like 2007, a half-hour single-camera comedy pilot would be given an average of about $3 million. So I feel like for 13 years before, $2 million for an hour drama is still not that much. No. Uh, no. Um, but uh, and you can kind of yeah. see it in that pilot when, <laughs> when you watch it. It is murky. Um, <laughs> but like, I don't know, that really became part of its charm. And it yeah. did famously become one of Fox's biggest budget shows. Um, but it, it still had like a scrappiness about it. And I think it, 
I know that some lower budget shows can get a little bit precious about like aggressively looking low budget. I think it balanced it pretty well. Um, it never looked like it was trying to do the twee low budget thing on purpose, but I think they did actually honestly be, and I think it's because what was behind it was genuinely terrifying concepts, really good performances, especially on the part of the monsters. Like I will probably mention about uh, 50 times, like when I first started my first in earnest watch through, Brad Dourif in that first season is oh, yeah. so terrifying. And I was like, I was a huge fan of the Chucky movies as a kid. So that like really, I think that was when I realized, oh, I really understand why this show was such a phenomenon because it was, it, there was so much artistry to it that mm -hmm. um, the extra art direction stuff, like, I don't know, it's, it's hard to recreate that now. Yeah, I mean, they were able to sort of channel what they had and make it and make it charming, even through the murkiness. And I think also, too, it's the benefit of the stories that you're telling a lot of the time. There's a, you know, if you're looking for stuff to do, it's, you know, it's spooky and it's at night. You know, there's a lot of stuff that you can cover. You don't have to worry about like the immediate thing I'm thinking of is another low budget Fox show that had a real problem because one of their central things was a massive piece of um graphic effects computer effects sliders you know, watch that show and it's like even back then that little tunnel looked shitty it just looked absolutely shitty and they had to rely on it for virtually every episode and so like every episode you were reminded like yeah you're watching this show but it's got like no money and it looks like garbage um and it's got that cast right yeah. so then you get you get to the x and you know whatever like no shade on jerry o'connell but like the rest of that cast whatever um but like X-Files, it used it all to its advantage, smart casting stuff. I mean, we'll talk about some of the guest players, but like that also, I feel like we don't really have that as much, right? Because we don't have as much serialized television or non-serialized television, right? Like you have this Monster of the Week stuff, you can bring in guest stars aplenty. Like I think probably the closest we have now is like all those CW DC shows where it's mm -hmm. like someone can come in for a day on legends of tomorrow play some villain that nobody gives a shit about and you'll never hear from him again so you can kind of do that but like you know yeah the brad durifs you know just these like totally memorable um you know, guest spots really make it so yeah doing a lot really stretching uh their pennies for sure and i'm sure that whatever breaks they got filming in vancouver for the first five years probably definitely helped uh, you know, I've, I think I mentioned this uh, when we met at your live show. I've actually never been to Vancouver. I have uh -huh. barely, I've barely left Canada, but I've also, I've, I've been to Vancouver Island, uh, in Victoria, and um, was actually quarantined there, uh, weirdly, oh, hey. in twenty right. in twenty twelve. Um, it was almost like an X Files episode. There were hazmat suits around me. Um, what was the wait? So I, I, when you said quarantine, my mind, of course, just went to our most recent, but. What was it going was, on in 2012? What happened? I was at a student journalism conference and there was a norovirus outbreak on the last night. Oh, I don't know oh. if you've ever seen the movie Drop Dead Gorgeous. It's yes. uh, so that that's that's my personal WLN. That might be my favorite movie of all time. Um, uh -huh. And there's that scene at the end where there's just vomit uh, coming from the balconies. That's yeah. what this was like. And oh. uh, it was a big like we got shuttled back to the hotel and just quarantined into rooms overnight. Oh. And then like. They had to they, like okay you can get on a flight back to ontario we have to like you have to pass a health inspection that that was very like you know 
open the door like the one you call Millhouse is gone. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was my own personal X Files episode. Oof. But I, I've never been to Vancouver. But I like to think that I'm really good at recognizing Vancouver just from movies alone. All my favorite and least favorite movies have been shot there. Totally. I mean, between the X-Files, uh, uh, you know, Jason Takes Manhattan, Rumble <laughs> in the Bronx, you know, all of these, especially New York set movies, I guess, which is funny. Um, and those goddamn Final Destination movies. Oh, yeah. Are they? So they're all. So that's funny. So Vancouver got Final Destination. Mm. And closer to where you are, Toronto got fucking saw. That kind of sucks. Why do you need to be in Toronto when you are literally just like, I could film that in my furnace room. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the garage that they filmed all nine of those movies in you know, was, was a real steal. I don't know. Absolutely. No. Um, <laughs> The final destination. I don't remember which one it, which one it is, but there's one of those movies features an insane asylum, and it's the exact same insane asylum featured in We Hate Movies classic, uh, The Butterfly Effect. Oh, get out of town! Oh, yeah, uh, that's um because Ali Larder's character is in the Nut House. I think at the start of the second movie or something, we're trying to tie the the first two it must together. Be the I second because she's killed off, and that's oh, sure, where you. Yeah. And in that same uh, loony bin, um, we see X-Files stalwart Callum Keith Rennie. Oh, oh, beloved Canadian character actor, I, Callum Keith Rennie. I always said I'm surprised he, like, he's so Canadian, I'm surprised he hasn't showed up in a, in a Saw movie, but he has. So um, <laughs> it's like the fucking eighth or something. Um, so oh, God. I couldn't tell. I mean, I've I've literally seen all of them. I couldn't tell you. Oh. I'm, I'm sure he's there and I'm sure he does a great job. And, and he's looking very handsome, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Handsome fellow. So, yeah. So the X-Files uh, debuted September 1993. First season had an average of 11.2 million viewers per episode, ranking at 105th overall. Um, ratings kept climbing, peaking in season five, which saw an average of nearly 20 million viewers per episode. That is fucking bananas. That's wild. Uh, Isn't that yeah. crazy? Holy shit. I, I sometimes have a difficult time contextualizing American ratings. Um, for my old job, when I was trade reporting on um, media and broadcasting, I used to do the weekly Canadian ratings. Obviously, we have a much lower population. So like, um, like the, the Super Bowl or something would mm -hmm. be a, a really good show might be an average of like 7 million here. And then wow, like your okay. average, like weekly best might be a 3 million. Um, so yeah, it's, hmm. uh, so it's really hard for me to imagine 20 million people like watching anything here. Um, and then gradual, but not severe decline from season five. Interestingly, I, I kind of didn't believe this. The 2016 season saw, saw like back to eight figure average views uh, across mm. the whole season. And okay. the next one uh, was all the way down to 5 million with its finale pulling in only 3 million. So that's where it's like, wow, this wouldn't even get you top five status in Canada. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm actually surprised with those numbers for that, the revival. I'm, I'm genuinely surprised. I, so much of it felt like the people watching that show were like me and Kumail Nanjiani <laughs> be because he was on an episode. Like, uh, I, I knew almost none of the people that I knew to be, you know, still to this day, X-Files fans, they just didn't even go back for it. No. And, you know, I guess some people could make the argument they were smarter for it, but I do think there's some, some fine episodes of television in there. Not 
you know, a ton or anything, but I don't regret watching those. Let's put it that way. I have um, some issues with some particular aspects of it, but I would say overall, yeah. artistically, it's fine. Um, mm -hmm. I was a bit cynical going into it, if only because at this point, I don't, I can't think of that many good examples of renewals that don't feel like fan servicey. Like for mm -hmm. me, actually, I would say like the gold standard for renewals that do not miss a beat and are like modern without being too um aggressively modern is beavis and butthead um oh yeah yeah like i the arrested developments is like the worst case scenario for a revival where it like is so bad that it literally changes everyone's perception of the show i'd say x files is somewhere between those it's it's neither brilliant nor um awful i think anyone who says it's awful is maybe being a bit performative yeah and and we never actually watched that final final season of Arrested Development. Um, I didn't care for the. I think it was it the fourth one that they like told it out of order because yeah. it was a great Netflix and idea. And then they're uh, like, "We we know you'll we know you didn't like this. We're gonna rearrange the whole thing so that maybe you liked it. You like yep, this totally because uh, that's so that, yeah. Like, that's it's it's really sad. And you're right. I hadn't really thought about that, but. I just don't go back to that show, um, yeah. and that might be why. Uh, but yeah, with the X Files, like I didn't think, you know, I, I've I've never revisited any of those, uh, you know, renewal episodes. But it didn't turn me off from from the show entirely. So yeah, I think probably somewhere in the middles, an accurate gauge. I feel like tonally because when it came back, this was when I was finally I, you know, like I say. X-Files, big bisexuality closet key for me. Also, mm -hmm. the movie the movie Dante's Peak, absolutely, because that is just... Interesting. Dante's Peak, I would not have guessed that. I would have uh, guessed Volcano more than anything. But uh... Uh, I was a weird kid with the Danny DeVito <laughs> obsession, but even I was never attracted to Tommy Lee Jones. But when you have <laughs> prime career Pierce Brosnan and, mm -hmm. Lin and Linda Hamilton... Um, that's true being competent scientists and or female girl boss politicians that's that's kind of my jam man yeah okay i totally get it you know the funny thing is the only thing like we did an episode on that movie i you saw did that movie volcano as well right we definitely did yeah um and i saw dante's peak like for my birthday you know the whole thing and i I'm fucking traumatized by that movie. So I'm glad that it, it opened some doors for you. But all I can think about from that movie is Pierce Brosnan's compound fracture as just one of the <laughs> most horrible, gruesome injuries I'd seen to a person in a movie. Like I'm closing my eyes. I can see it right now. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> my mom got a compound fracture from slipping on her... Um on her sidewalk about a year ago. Oh. And um, she decided to tell me by texting a picture of it without warning. Oh. I was like oh, in the middle no. of a fucking work meeting, just like, Whoa. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's unfair. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, it's, uh, so with me, for me, when the X-Files uh, reboot uh, came back um, or continuation, I don't know what the proper term is for it. It was, I found the tonality of it really funny because I think among uh, other dorks like myself, the outlook was, we all, we all know how hot Jillian Anderson was. We have all come to that realization. Aren't we so glad to see her on, on the screen? And Duchovny's here too, I guess. Big time, <laughs> big time. Because one of them is a fine wine and the other one is an old baseball glove. That I love. 
that I love, but he's just an older fella. He's kind of looking like a squishy faced dog a little bit, which is cute. But then you watch fucking Hannibal season three, you know, when they're in Europe and you're like, she's fucking eating oh, okay. her own leg. And I didn't know that was a thing for me until now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, and I like I think Duchovny has this kind of like shaggy dogish charm about him, mm -hmm. like just kind of fucking around doing his own thing. But I've even found it unintentionally funny the way Chris Carter said, um, you know, like so both Duchovny and uh, Anderson have said they they wouldn't do more X-Files. They're done with the character. And Chris Carter has said, um, uh, well, we just can't see the show without Gillian Anderson. And I understand that that's because they have literally done the show without Duchovny, but I'm also like, what a kind of like accidental, like mean little fuck you to David Duchovny of like, well, we just can't do it without Mulder, without Scully. Mulder's fine, but no. Because yeah. I would agree that it's not so much that you can do it without Mulder. You can't do it without Mulder and Scully. Like that is. That's the thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's like something that. The, at least the first season of that reboot or whatever we're calling it let's just keep calling it different things um because <laughs> all these words mean the same thing uh Absolutely. But I, they tried to do something with like am i remembering this right it's lauren ambrose and some other guy and they're kind of like x-files junior and that's yep. the thing you know that with regard to these reboots and whatever that i just really truly hate is this <laughs> like passing the torch whatever you know saved by the bell the new class horse shit like you know that bad boys movie that bad boys for life does that where it's like here's your two bad boys that you're paying a ticket for and then we're cramming these like four other tech kids you know down your throat with their drones and hacking and you know i know i sound incredibly old right now but like yeah. they did that on the x-files and i was like mm -hmm. no 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 i'm tuning in because you told me that these two people were a part of it now if you want to say okay, we're doing, a new, it's a completely new generation and they have absolutely nothing to do with it. I will give Chris Carter like the benefit of the doubt and check it out, you know, just, you know, because he's given me so much over the years, but I'm not going to enjoy a like, they're there and then they're not, which is what I feel they tried to do and sort of realized immediately with the writing, you can't possibly do the show. But yeah. what I just say, there's some like, um, there's like an animated thing that he's working on. Have you read this? Oh, I had read that that was something that was being considered, but I haven't looked into like the current status of it. Uh, you I don't know how far along it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was going to ask you because um, <laughs> when I say I wasn't allowed to play video games as a child, I don't mean my parents would allow it. I mean, I had a older brother who hogged a lot of controllers. Um, uh -huh. So I know that the X-Files has had a few video games, graphic novels as well. Have you ever engaged in any of that? So video games, not to my knowledge, um, because when around when they were probably making those games, um, they were probably for like PlayStation, I would mm -hmm. wager, or like Xbox, you know, that first Xbox console. Um, and we were a straight up Nintendo house. Uh, and well, that's I, the fun kind of house. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, those kind of things I missed. Uh, I did dabble in the, and this was so lame because like we were actually just making fun of these on, on We Hate Movies recently, like the uh, uh, printed adaptations of movies. I bought several <laughs> printed adaptations of the television episodes and they would be these little 
because it's like a 47 minute episode of television these little mm -hmm. like novelettes that i would get at barnes and noble and it would be of episodes like home was was one that i definitely remember having and reading a bunch and you know because you didn't i mean it's sort of the same thing as the novelization right like they didn't super rerun the x-files i wasn't into you know finding the few places that would sell like vhs tapes of tv i don't even know if they made them for the x-files and you know obviously well, they, they didn't make them sequentially so i had okay. one of these which i think might have belonged to my sister it would be like random collections of like three random episodes from season uh, three oh, that fits sure. this theme and stuff yeah got uh, it got yeah. it got it on the note of those uh book uh those book covers which i think you were talking about on your black adam episode love it because mm -hmm. now i know i don't ever have to see black adam i'm fine oh yeah, oh, totally. You're totally you know, fine. It's, you know, it's... I I totally forgot that I usually try to open my uh, my episodes with a compliment to our guest host. And uh, this is a high compliment because <laughs> We Hate Movies has, on a level only compared comparable to The Simpsons, altered my vocabulary in the long oh, term. Oh, my God. That is incredibly flattering. Um, my husband and I, unfortunately, <laughs> can't mention William Defoe without doing the gap. Wow. Uh, and oh, uh -oh. I... <laughs> I am concerned that intergang may um, become a oh, part of my everyday vocabulary. So sorry, people who interact with me. But um, no, I, uh, when I was like 19, couldn't find a copy of the book version of uh, Requiem for a Dream, which is like 20 years older than the movie that didn't have fucking Jared Leto and Ellen oh, Bernstein's faces on them. Sure, and I remember yeah. like sitting at the park reading it and like looking over one to be like, the, the book's actually really complicated. And difficult to read i'm really smart for reading this like <laughs> it's well i always oh. hated those because you you never wanted to be the person like and, and maybe this isn't anyone else and i'm just at that stage of being neurotic but like those things always struck fear into me because i never want to be the person that's like reading the thing because it's a movie you mm -hmm. know so it's like oh you see someone sees me on the train reading it and it's got the movie cover it's like oh this guy is only reading white noise because no Baumbach <laughs> made a movie about it, right? Yeah. Like you, so like for me, if I'm ever doing that, I don't want anyone to know as if anyone gives a shit, right? That's the whole thing with <laughs> a neuroses like that. Nobody fucking cares, but that's no. a, I would seek out on eBay, like find a version that doesn't have the movie on it. Cause I'm just that nuts. I'm just that nuts. And just really quickly adding to me being crazy to your Defoe thing. I went to the movies uh, like on Friday and I walked by a, a cardboard stand. I was alone. I need to qualify that. I walked by a cardboard standee for a new Willem Dafoe movie and I just by myself just went Dafoe to no one, <laughs> to fucking no one. I said it out loud like big um, nut job. It was a great way to break up the tension in that really sad movie where he works at the at the hotel, the transient hotel. Um, what's it called? The Florida Project? oh sure yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah just sad sad stuff and people getting getting their lives around oh, wow. oh totally uh, totally and then, yeah you know that would help that with that movie because it is incredibly sad oh except when he yells at that pervert that's pretty great like, oh it is <laughs> i saw a thing actually how sad is this man Fucking florida awful awful place um the, someone just posted they repainted that hotel and now it's just all like white and cream oh. colored that beautiful cool like pink and purple motel from that movie horrible yeah yep awful so awful a, people down there terrible as as we're uh as we're talking about um you know x files in the more modern area x files of the 2010s i i've had this thought and this was actually what pushed me to do an episode on the x files 
I generally think, aside from saying that something is overrated, uh, one of the most lazy things to say about a TV show or movie is you could never make this today. Like it's it's almost become a meme at this point saying you could never make this today. Yeah. Um, you know, especially when Mindy Kaling is trying to say that about The Office, which is like, like The Office is not even that old. Come on, Mindy Kaling, stop it. But um, yeah. I, you know, that's usually said about shows that are a bit more problematic or dicey or have edgier humor. I would actually move to assert that making The X-Files or a show like The X-Files today would be really hard, um, which is part of why I don't think the renewal seasons had quite the same oomph for me. Um, I think it is much more difficult to discuss government conspiracy theories today with any sense of lightheartedness. Um, I know The X-Files was not a lighthearted show, but people love and celebrate it. And like, it's, um, I know, uh, Talking Simpsons, which you've been on, they've said about King of the Hill, like, it's like Dale Gribble. Like the only the only yeah. way you could do accurate Dale Gribble today is if you were racist. Like um someone talking well, about Dale, government. Dale, yeah. Oh, actually I'm confusing. You know, yeah, Dale Gribble would be racist. I was confusing him with Boomhauer. Because Boomhauer would be Q. He would be <laughs> a straight up Q and on yeah. uh person. Yeah, no. Um <laughs> Boom by the way, French Canadian Boomhauer, his name is Pepino, and uh he uh he sounds adorable. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like uh, someone talking about government cover-ups in 1994 was hilarious and quirky and harmless. And also, I will add that like a lot of conspiracy theories are rooted somewhat in in a little bit of truth. But now the problem is people use, you know, people talk about government conspiracy theories, to, you know, that are literally leading to mass shootings or harassing mm -hmm. victims of mass shootings. And the real world context is much, much sadder. And so it becomes, I, I feel like being able to write those things is a skill that not a lot of even the most gifted writers have. And I know like Joel McHale has, just, like he played kind of a Alex Jones surrogate in one of the renewal yes, seasons. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm. Uh, which was like, uh, fine, you know, but like I, to what you're saying though, I think, yeah, it's kind of like, because all that shit is like out of the open now, right? Like mm -hmm. they are not the lone gunmen in the basement on the message boards. I mean, they're still on the message boards, but they're also in fucking halls of government, you know? So like, there's nothing to me that's like entertaining about that, right? No. And, 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 you know, the, the whole, you know, tying it back into like the aliens and everything, they couldn't go back to, I mean, they did go back to that with the, with the revival, but they shouldn't have because they literally wrapped that up at least twice on the show. So then you're forced, okay, if we can't do conspiracy stuff, where do we go? You're doing way more monster things. There's so many monster episodes on those, those new seasons. And I think that's why, because we don't, we're not going to entertain creepy government whatevers because those people, you know, are now, super highly elected officials we fucking had a president for four years that is closer to that shit you know what i mean so it's yeah. just kind of like like i feel like audiences kind of look at it now it's like yeah okay that's cute the yeah. government you know hiding aliens from us oh if only you know yeah. and like carter too like being like a kid of watergate it's totally it makes perfect sense right but we look at it now and it's like oh watergate watergate like by comparison that's fucking quaint what a, what a quaint little conspiracy slash you know like government crime cover-up that was compared yeah. to what we have now so it's like the x-files supremely supremely of its time in that mm -hmm. way and you know 
that's why I always thought my idea for like an X Files extension that I always wanted to see because it's a it's a low key part of the show that fascinated the hell out of me. The olden days of like the Mulder family in the '60s and Bob Mulder, whatever his name was, like in the FBI doing creepy shit. You know, you could have brought Martin Landau into it, like do his character. Uh, you know, Cigarette Man. I just always loved that idea of like going back and telling those stories from the early days of, you know, mm -hmm. cover ups were super cute, like super cute Roswell <laughs> cover up, you know, um, and they dip into that a little bit on the show to get like flashbacks and stories and stuff. But I feel like doing it period, like a period piece version of it is the only way you can expand it or continue it because we are past the point of no return with any mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, government conspiracy stuff as entertainment in present day mm -hmm. so yeah and like i think um the the one show that has beaten into the game and like this show doesn't have the same luster as it did in, in its first season but stranger things uh stranger mm -hmm. things show like because again it is much easier to talk about uh government conspiracies in the context of the 1980s especially mm -hmm. when you have the backdrop of something like the cold war um yeah totally yeah. Um, um, another show that actually did it well present day, and it's the closest thing um, that's given me X-Files vibes, was uh, that show Fringe. Um, it was a J.J. Abrams show with Anna Torv, who's now oh. on Last of Us, and um, she was... She was she was on Mindhunter on this uh, series. I have previously discussed that I did not like what they did with her makeup in that last season of Mindhunter. Uh, Oh, got it. She was yellow um, the entire time. Oh, was she really? I don't, oh, I don't, it was, oh, I don't no. know if it, like they were trying to do like weird period, like 70s lighting, but they made her jaundiced. Oh, ew, poor yeah. Anna. Um, but she, that was a show. It was also very much, um, you know, she was an FBI agent and she was working you know, with these two wacky, sci or one wacky scientist and son who was played by Joshua Jackson. And it was a lot of like, it was that it, it did a perfect combo of monster of the week and an arc, but the arc was more kind of like, if I'm remembering it right, they were like a, um, like a tech company, almost like crooked scientists, sort of pseudo government, but not like direct, you know, highest office of the FBI or anything, but that show, you know, it has a really strong X-Files vibe, really good performances, a lot of good guest of the week people floating in and out of it too. So if you haven't checked that out and you're looking for like, what's something that could like, you know, calm that X-Files fix if I don't feel like watching X-Files, check out Fringe. Mm -hmm. I think I saw the pilot uh, and that's oh, okay. it. Yeah. Uh, I, uh... Oh, I would, yeah, recommend continuing. I love Joshua Jackson because as I've established on the show, I love the Mighty Ducks, so. Um... Hell yeah. And and again, Vancouver boy. Um, but uh, yeah, so I um, the other note I have on the kind of you couldn't make this today is um, <laughs> is I also feel like these days, and I don't know if it's a conscious thing, but I find a lot of movies and television productions very they play very nicely with government institutions. You know, like the most obvious example being Marvel and the way it plays very nicely with like the, the Department of Defense and stuff. Um, and I know that um, that Chris Carter had said um, the way he put it was that a lot of the um, a lot of FBI um, professionals who had talked to them and gave him like he called it off the record praise for the show and okay. like just that they they liked it and they won't say anything on the record about it. 
Um, and as far as I know, he said that he worked with um, people in the FBI on the pilots just to understand the workings of it. But I do not think to, I looked really hard into this. I don't think there was any long term FBI consultation on the show. And I think like I understand, you know, like if, you know, one of my favorite shows, Better Call Saul, you need a legal pretty much a full time legal consultant for that show to understand how everything works. But right. um you know, I think to an extent we're telling silly stories about aliens don't necessarily want to use tender the services of FBI consultants. And obviously there's stuff that they don't want shown either. And yeah. I just, you know, even with to, to bring up Mindhunter again, and um, I don't know, a friend of the show Mint might uh, might argue with me for this, but I find Mindhunter as amazing of a show as it is. It's hard to not read it as like. And here's how we came up with profiling. Profiling is really good, actually. Like, <laughs> or like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, it's it comes across as very like, even if there's some gray area there, it's pretty pro FBI. And um, you know, I like one of. <laughs> let's talk about Walter Skinner. Can we talk about Skinner? Hell yeah! Uh, I love Walter Skinner. He always reminded me of. Uh this friend of my parents. So seeing him on screen, I'm like, oh, weird. I don't like the friend of my parents, but I like you, Walter Skinner. Well, and I think like, and one of the interesting things, I I didn't even go into my uh, thing about how much I love Vince Gilligan, but because, and you know, I, I've thought, is there a way for me to do like either Breaking Bad or the Breaking Bad universe on this show? And I can't because there is no peak. It is all really really good. So this is my chance to talk about Vince Gilligan and how much I love him. But one of the things like I've listened to him do the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul podcasts, he is really good at playing effectively with tropes. And, um, you know, he loves he has uh, he's taken a lot of inspiration from classic movies and he likes to bring in those archetypes and play with them and what i love about skinner is he is a subversion of that hard-nosed hard-nosed boss he's not trying to shut down their craziness he like i love when there's episodes when skinner's just like ah fine do what you want like i i love that about him because he's kind of like he's he's basically a serious sci-fi version of a michael scott like just like yeah we can do anything around <laughs> with him totally i mean that's skinner to me was always one of the most terrifying returning recurring characters because you never knew what temperature that guy was going to be at and it's all about you know what bug happened to be up his ass right mm -hmm. and there so there are those times where it's like all right, yeah, get out of here, kids. Go find the big Sasquatch monster, like, you know, whatever. But then there's other times where it's like, you know, Cancer Man and the Syndicator, like, really coming down on him and he's got to be this dick. So, like, it's also that really great thing of, like, anybody who's ever just had a shitty boss, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, every time I get called into the office, this guy, you know, it's hot and cold. I have no idea how uh, I'm going to be received when I go into this meeting. And that's what Mulder and Scully deal with with Skinner all the time. It's like, all right, dude, whose corner are you in? Whose corner do you have to be in? He's a dude that understands a lot of the time, like, yeah, I know I'm fucking you right now, but just know, like, I'm fucking you because someone else is making me do it. Mm -hmm. Like, he's a dude that's, like, sometimes plays within the rules of the FBI, but then when the show needs him to, he's like, yeah, all right. Mm -hmm. run off do your thing i'm gonna conveniently turn around um one of the best actually episodes of the the renewal is that one where it's skinner dealing with like his vietnam flashbacks and everything mm -hmm. which you know it just gave um uh mitch Pileggi just a yeah. real 
time to shine. And I think in that oh, he's a great actor. He's got this beard going on that was like really supreme stuff. Yeah. Um, so one uh, on the topic of tropes, one trope I have mixed feelings about in sci-fi is the trope of women's bodies being ripe for experimentation. And I think mm. the X-Files plays with it in in the right ways for the most part. Um, like the X-Files, it, it, of course it has some dicey stuff. Do not watch any of their episodes that have anything to do with... Um, Oh, I don't even know the terms that they've used for trans people on the show, but uh, they're not great. Um, oh, boy, I recall the episode you're talking we're about. Not, so. Yeah, we're not in uh, Slurp City. We're just in uh, Misunderstanding City. It's in a, yeah, you wrote a teleplay about, you know, what you think to be what you're talking about. And yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. And we've moved on. We've moved yep. on. Yeah. Um, yep. But so, and like, I... I think for the most part, the X-Files has very good gender politics. Um, you know, mm -hmm. when I was in cultural studies and everyone was doing their essays on Buffy, I was talking about the way the X-Files like to uh, play with and subvert um, a lot of classic sci-fi and action tropes. You know, the way that Mulder, I would say, is the damsel in distress just as often as Scully. Um, totally. And yet they don't, you know... I don't like it too much when Scully, you know, always saves herself because to me it is about a very reciprocal friendship and um, and the way that, you know, Mulder will say like starts to say Scully comes first, even before finding out about his sister, which, you know, directly contradicts something he says in the very first episode. Um, right. But so um, the, this trope of women's bodies being um, being grounds for experimentation. Scully is a victim throughout throughout the show. Um, when I was young, I was very hardlined against it, um, but it can be a commentary on society's objectification of women rather than just being straight up objectification. Where I think it is a clunker is in the renewal seasons, and this is what I was alluding to, I am mm -hmm. still really angry that it was being done with Scully with the revelation of the cigarette smoking man uh being william's real father um the i mean that trope is we call it medical rape um bringing him back bothered me enough he was yeah. obliterated like i get i it. saw that dude explode uh... in a cave i saw <laughs> that dude explode in a cave from a missile launched by a helicopter if i'm remembering right like, it was a helicopter yes fuck that <laughs> I hated that so much. I couldn't believe it. Just that was a total betrayal, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, and and with uh, you know, regard to the experimentation on women's bodies, I think you're absolutely right. And I think if you if you look at it though, you know, it is, I think, like you're saying, you know, they're using that to talk about, you know, the way in which men think that they can be puppets with women's bodies, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that in in the earlier seasons, uh, you know, is a lot of stuff with yeah, Scully getting pregnant, how they play with that in an interesting way, because it's like this horrible thing happened to her for her to get pregnant. But she also like has this incredibly strong desire, you know, or at least curiosity about, you know, being a mother through various mm -hmm. parts of the show. And I think also, though, through it, they use it in a smart way when she meets the group of people um that have all had uh the similar situation and they all have the same cancer that she does mm -hmm. and i think that is one of the ways that they're laying those seeds for her to do the flip into becoming a believer right and they yeah. they weaponize that once david duchovny leaves the show and she becomes the believer to like doggett's uh skeptic and she's like the sage fbi teacher whatever's going on um but and then also as far as the gender politics i think it's a scully as a character is a really nice 
um, extension of Clarice Starling, who was just exploding on screens in silence just, what, two years before yes. uh, this movie came out. So it's nice to see you know it, this incredibly strong character who's, I always loved that she's a fucking medical doctor who was like, you know what? I can also be an FBI agent. Like that is some impressive overachieving shit. Um, you know, and so I always loved that about her. And then, yeah, just the way that you just see her constantly fighting through a clearly dude dominant uh, law enforcement mm -hmm. world um, that I, I, I think they, they really sort of carried the torch from Silence of the Lambs really well. Um, yeah. It feels like that was that was always like front of mind when they, you know, whether it's like the writing or even like in blocking and costuming of the character. Um, I feel like that was always there. Yeah. And I, again, I was reading that uh, apparently Fox wanted to cast, wanted to cast someone more attractive to play uh, Dana Scully, to which I re respond with, fuck you. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah. she was just fine. I mean, by the, Absolutely. by the, uh, quantity of fake nude photos of her going <laughs> early days of the internet you know yeah she was popular 20th absolutely. century Fox. absolutely <laughs> um but i think i think the writers very quickly realized despite you know Mulder being the one with the tragic backstory that scully is objectively a more interesting character than Mulder. i think mm -hmm. at times like we've said that the element of her and her catholic faith is maybe just like one layer too many you probably don't need it um, mm -hmm. but you know, and, and it could have easily been a cliche of, I am a woman of science. I don't believe, um, there's a great, cause I was rewatching X cops the other night. Like I said, I discovered mm -hmm. that my husband had never seen it. He thought I was making this up, I think. Um, <laughs> well, and, it does sound pretty ridiculous if you're just describing what the episode and is. And you wouldn't think it would be a good episode. <laughs> it is a great episode. Um, but, um, I think it was one or two after, and there's the episode of the man who is doing voodoo on the doctor's family um, oh, to sure. get revenge for his for his daughter. Which I love in the back in the backstory. They're like, "Oh, it says in this year he refused to vaccinate her for polio." I'm like, "Well, there you did yep. you did that to your daughter, sir." Um, there it is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but um, oh, fuck, where's it going? Oh, but like, there's. This is kind of like the point, this is the seventh season, the point in the series where Scully has, I don't want to say stopped caring as much, but she has this thing about like, oh yeah, I keep surprising you, Mulder, because at the very beginning, Mulder's like, oh yeah, I know what you're going to say, Mulder, why are we here? Mulder, how is this an X-File? And then she just kind of occasionally contradicts Mulder just to keep surprising him. And so they keep, you know, it's not like... I, I really don't like heel face turns that feel unearned. There's a lot of investment in her evolution. Um, you know, I I should be nicer to the addition of Doggett. Um, I it's more like I would be more interested to see Scully positioned as the as the believer, you know, with Mold instead of against a new person because it just feels a bit of like here we go again. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like you know, uh, it's. I mean, it's not this, but it's kind of like the sort of creatively bankrupt, like gender flip mm -hmm. makes or whatever, where it's just like, now she doesn't, or she believes and he doesn't. It's like, mm -hmm. okay. I mean, you're right. If it was a thing where it was like, it's two diehard believers, like going at it, you know, like, mm -hmm. all right, it's the last two seasons of the show. Like we are going to 
fuck the government up or like whatever it is, you know, but like to just have her now being like, all right, man, listen, I know it sounds crazy, but I've been doing this for seven years at this point. You know, it's just something about that kind of sucked because at that point it's like you don't Scully in the early days was, you know, we saw the show through her, right? We're learning about all this crazy world stuff and going around on these investigations with Spooky Mulder. But by year seven, like, we're in it. We know how the X-Files works. And now mm-hmm. here's this guy um, who now has to have the X-Files explained all over. And it's like, eh, all right, dog it. So I, I, I get yeah. the 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 dog it distaste. Yeah, and... I feel bad because I've just never been a huge fan of Robert Patrick and there's nothing to actively loathe about him, but it's, he has, oh, this is like the meanest thing I could say about an actor. He has everyone else past energy, you know, everyone else that. past those Robert Patrick. Um, so yeah, I want to, I want to divert for a moment to talk about X cops and just why sure. it is one of my favorite episodes of the series, despite the fact that I'm a huge, like, hugely obnoxious about like it should have stayed in vancouver i don't like all that because like oh the show becomes so much prettier because it's also like they have finally it's every show gets to a point where you're they realize how hot their main cast is and they start outfitting them better they got better haircuts and whatever Mm -hmm. and so to add the la on top of that like i have i'm not a fan of la in general it's one of my (laughs) least favorite cities to visit and i'm just like oh Okay, lots of lots of pavement here. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think X Cops works as like we were talking about with The Simpsons. It's affectionate parody, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's Vince Gilligan exploiting tropes and cliches in really effective ways. Uh, I would watch an entire spinoff of Steve and Edie, those two insatiable queens that they uh, <laughs> oh, they are so delightful, like. I, I don't know who those two actors are, but they steal the show. Um, I can't, I, I, I don't know if there are anybody of note. You're making me now want to reevaluate X-Cops. I would say <laughs> uh, I don't, I, I have a memory of not caring for it. And mainly because I have a strong distaste for the show Cops. Oh, I never uh, liked it. <laughs> and so I just, I think, you know, when I, and that was also, I believe, an episode, I think, what season is that now that I'm trying to remember? That is the seventh season. It's seven. So, so it's the I, last I season. Was, that season in, was a little dicey in general. Yeah. And for me, I mean, once, uh, you know, once Mulder gets abducted by those aliens at the end of this season, I was out. Yeah. Um, so I never watch any of the Dog and Ray stuff live, but the that season leading up to it in where x cops aired you know i wasn't on my habitual like every sunday i'm there i had kind of started falling off by that point and i think i missed this one live and it was only mm-hmm. on like a dvd catch-up that i was like what what the fuck? like i just i totally was not in uh the right headspace <laughs> for it but um I don't know. I, w- I will go back and rewatch, but I I haven't done a true rewatch and like a straight through chronological in a really long time. I do like grab bag, just sort of pick and choose. Um, but I'll put it to the top of my list now. You know, I the last the last couple shows we've done being BoJack Horseman and This Is Us, which have surprising number of themes in common. Um, oh wow! 
Oh yeah, I know because you guys have done Dan Fogelman's admittedly dog shit movie. I forget what it was even called. So I know that none of you guys are a fan of that TV show. Oh, but yeah, no, I don't watch that. I would always, I, I mean, I never will tell people, no, you have to watch this. But I would always, I always implore people give that show a chance. It is smarter than people think it is. Especially mm-hmm. uh, as you're mentioning Vietnam flashbacks, all the Vietnam stuff is really amazingly shot and good acting. Um, really? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mandy Moore is fantastic in it. She looks like Diane Keaton when she's old. Because um, <laughs> they put her in old makeup. She looks exactly like Diane Keaton. It's quite uh, quite amazing. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I would also say regarding chronological rewatches, I think uh, the with, so with those two, those were things like we agree. You pretty much have to watch everything very chronologically. And The X Files is one of those shows where you can kind of just do a remote roulette, and yeah. it's great because there's there's not a lot of crap in The X Files, but you know there's a lot of stuff to slog through. Like the first season, I don't want to say you can skip it because definitely, like, I love the episode with the creepy twins. I love mm-hmm. uh, Beyond the Sea with Brad Dourif, but like, it's season two and three when you really get to the meat. And so it's like, just like, I, it's on Disney Plus here. So I, I tell people just oh, okay. fire up Disney Plus and just like kind of close your eyes and pick a random episode. Um, but uh, yeah, like, I, um, so with X Cops, um, like, it hits. The X-Files does hit comedy beats extremely well, I think. Um, it's um, like, so X-Cops is not a departure in terms of the tonality. I do love like the lead cop that you're introduced to, the first guy. Like, yeah, you know, if it just helps people feel a little bit safer on the streets, you know, that's what I can do. He's so dopey. He has that <laughs> ultimate, like, you know, like, I don't know how GPAs are in uh, in the in the states so i will say c minus average um kind of <laughs> kind of guy um the, you know the beat of them telling the sex worker uh whose name i always forget sean sean, Tra- sean that's a mushroom um but um i keep wanting to say sean i know it's not sean but chantel um, probably probably just chantel um but like it's okay you're you're gonna be fine your pimp's not gonna hurt you and then you kind of forget about her and then one act later she is on uh she is in the autopsy room um Mm -hmm. but what i love most about this episode is that at this point in the series jillian anderson is playing so much more openly hostile and annoyed at everything and you get to see her (laughs) completely over everything because you have her not only like kind of annoyed with Mulder who is loving the, the camera crew being there, but she's also mm-hmm. really annoyed with the cops weirdos, both with the cops themselves and the weirdos they're talking to. I um, I love her with Steve and Edie because she's just like, okay, okay, calm down, calm down, sir. Um, there's this one little point in the second act where she just does this little like, Ugh, and it's just the tiniest little bit of acting, but it feels so real and lived in that that's what I love about X-Cops is you just get peak annoyed Scully. Yeah. <laughs> I love annoyed Scully and it's kind of interesting because, you know, when I was watching the show as it was airing, if you had asked me, like, do you th- like how good of an actor do you think Jillian Anderson is? I'd say, you know, oh, she's fine. I mean, she carries this TV show. And it wasn't until seeing her in other things, including Hannibal, much, much later that I was like, oh, no, she totally kicks ass. And, you know, when you go back and watch her, as Scully, you're like, oh no, I mean, you know, cause, cause back then, right? Like I didn't watch a lot of like interview stuff and we didn't wow. have DVD features or anything. So I didn't know what 
kind of a person she was or how she carried herself or whatever. So now going back, you know, with the decades of YouTube videos or whatever, it's like, oh shit, this is a supreme performance here. She does mm -hmm. a really, really good job. Yeah, whether it is like, you know, big things or little things like you're talking about. There's a big thing actually in the movie. There's a moment at the beginning of the movie, uh, the first movie, where she screams at these two security guards in the building <laughs> to evacuate. And she just lays into these two guys. And it's like, the line is something like, like, don't think about it, just get it done. And I was like, holy shit, that scared me watching it on TV. 20 years after the movie came out you know so and, like and like you said rules. that that moment i remember what you're talking about it's very clarice starling as well um, yeah totally yeah totally i would i would describe because i think uh jillian anderson has a real like regality to her especially as she's yes. gotten older that's really present in hannibal it's really present she's fantastic and she's my favorite part of sex education as well um, oh i've heard that's pretty good actually i stopped in the third season i'm not sure why okay. it came out early COVID, and man i couldn't pay attention to anything early COVID. i was just no yeah it was the your your melro 210 uh side <laughs> series and that was it i was just lying on my floor just thinking about the world um totally. but yeah but um she i would describe scully as essentially a more regal clarice starling uh because mm. clarice's whole thing is that she's a little bit more green still and she's uh, and you know hannibal is uh you know kind of what jerks her into um the most terrifying reality possible you know you get the sense that scully's been in it uh for quite a while and uh Definitely. yeah i also yes. say the 90s was a, a real great time for sexual tension uh you know mm -hmm. of like i've never been able to like to reference the office again i've never been able to give a shit about jim and pam because oh, no. i had fox and dana you know yeah well, I, I don't give a shit about Jim and Pam because uh, I was about to be really mean to people who enjoy Jim and Pam. I, I just never gave a shit. I just that is a show. It came and went. I watched a lot of it and I will never revisit. I never have an urge to ever, ever revisit The Office. Um, but yeah, I think maybe part of that was because I had Fox and Dana also. Well, I don't and know. then, you know, it, like the 80s and 90s, you look at the greats because like, you know, I, I'm not saying Mulder and Scully invented sexual tension, but I just think it was such a great time for like between that and Sam and Diane. And even mm -hmm. I'm not a huge Friends fan, but Ross and Rachel kind of wrote the book sure. on that. And yep. so like I that's another thing where I think like you couldn't make this today because you couldn't find that magic again today. And what's interesting is I've often said about the show, like whether it's, you know, a movie character or a TV character, sometimes an actor comes across like they're in a different show than another mm -hmm. than everyone else. Yeah. At times, Mulder and Scully can sometimes feel like they're coming from two different shows, because especially as the series goes on, once you get to about like, again, the L.A. season, season five or so, I feel like David Duchovny knows that his character is much campier. Um, and like, there's that episode where they are, he's going into like the video game world where people get, are fucking getting their hands sliced off for real. Yes. And he's like having a lot of fun with it. And he's got those tiny like drill sunglasses on. Like he fucking <laughs> looks, he looks like drill. Um, and he's like, that was cool. And I'm just like, oh, okay. He's having fun. And yeah. And yet somehow it works. Him and Scully work. And I guess you just, you get that. It's just a combination of solid writing and actors who are insanely comfortable with one another. I have to imagine that they are just very good friends. 
you know? Oh, well, there was, uh, my wife had a, a, a great observation. When they were doing press for the revival, they were on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> and, you know, we're watching this interview and neither of us are saying anything to each other, but it's like, you're watching the two of them and it's like, what is going on here? And she leans over and she's just like, Oh yeah, those are two people that have definitely slept together. Oh, and I was like, I was like, yeah, no, totally. But like, they have chemistry, okay. right? And 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 as attractive as both of them are, and were at the start of that show, they are still '90s TV faces, mm -hmm. early '90s TV faces. I, I mean, you know, you just mentioned Friends. That's like one of the shows that ruined that, right? I mean, we talk about this all the time when we hate movies, but like, look at the cast of Friends versus the cast of Cheers. Mm -hmm. Not to knock the cast of Cheers, but they are incredibly talented people that are just, they look like regular people. And yeah. for the most part, Duchovny and Anderson in 1993, you know, before they're, they're, you know, I will concede to the LA glam up at the start of season six, but those early days, they just look like TV actors. Um, well, and there's something so like relatable and appealing about that. They just look like people mm -hmm. doing a job. They, um... Even like in some of the later seasons, I was noticing like if there's se ever scenes where Mulder is wearing like a tank top or something and you see his arms, he is like, he's a guy who's in okay shape. You think like this guy goes yeah. to the gym three days a week. Mm -hmm. No one, no, like, and I get it, I'm not the first person to say this. No one on TV and in movies looks like they go to the gym three days a week anymore. They, nope. You know, they, and like he, I, I like a good, who doesn't love a good mix of muscle and doughy? I totally. think everyone needs a good mix of muscle <laughs> and doughy in their lives. As I am in my 30s, I am frequently a mix of muscle and doughy, and I think I'm the cutest I've ever been. Uh, so, like, <laughs> I, and, you know, I was just saying, I love The Dark Knight. It's one of my favorite movies in the world. But I'm just like, did Christian Bale do this? Did Chris, is he the one who set that standard? Because he got so jacked for Batman. Yeah. That was post-machinist. Oh um, boy, yeah, oh. two apples a day for that movie. That you know, those things are always funny because it's like you know he very famously said like, "Oh yeah, I ate two apples a day, and that's how I got oh. my machinist body." And I was like, "Dude, nobody talks about that movie. Nobody gives a fuck about that movie anymore." So like, what? What do you did think you it drives him crazy that no one gives a fuck about Vice either? <laughs> Probably, yeah. And that'll teach him to make movies with Adam McKay. Talk about oh. a dude who's fucking movies have an expiration date God. shorter than milk with that guy <laughs> so we're coming to the lightning round andrew uh -oh. i need to i need a soundboard for this oh um, yeah totally. you guys have started playing with soundboards recently it's uh highly yeah, effective to, to, to the detriment <laughs> of uh oh I love our it. sanity and some well you know if, if the audience is liking it that's totally fine yes uh, uh it drives me fucking bananas so the lightning round, I always say, don't think too much. You can explain yourself, but you know, don't rely on too many of your brain cells. Uh, first question, actually, this is great because we have had your lovely wife on this show, Chelsea Jupin. Uh, yes. So in your partnership, do you consider yourself more the Mulder or the Scully? Oh, I'm the Mulder. Oh, no really? doubt in my mind. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because I'm, <laughs> I'm the one who's like super paranoid. Like, you know, if we go out, uh, you know, in some social situation and there's like a, a perceived slight right it, you know whether that's traffic or at a restaurant or whatever i'm like do you see that do you see that fucking guy do you see what he was doing oh yeah oh yeah he's coming you know and she's like Mulder, you're being <laughs> ridiculous you know that person doesn't give a shit about you that person doesn't see you you know so like 
she is often the voice of reason to my crazy paranoid fantasies so i have warned uh my husband jared that i was going to say this and that it probably wouldn't make him happy but i <laughs> am probably the scully i think he thinks he's the scully and the reasoning for this is i will not assert a fact to my husband unless i am positive it is true i have a bit of an inferiority complex about my own intellect and again that comes from my brother being an engineer and my sister being a <laughs> physicist um but and my husband i think is extremely smart but sometimes he will say things even if he's not sure um in, in particular like um my husband was born in um in britain he and okay. he moved here when he was about four and there are certain things that I have to tell him, like, no, that's a Britishism. No one says that here. <laughs> like when, like, he refers to underwear as pants. Like, oh, just like just sitting there in my pants. I'm like, people don't call underwear pants here, honey. <laughs> or like, you know, trying to correct him on uh, on the French language because he doesn't speak French. And uh, and so I just whenever I tell him that, like, no, honey, this is not true, or no, this isn't how this works. No, this isn't what your quadricep is. Um, because I had to tell him what a quad, what your quadricep is indeed, and not in your arms. Um, but um, so that like I have this really like deadpan, self-serious way of like, no, Jared, that's not true. And when <laughs> when I say it, you know that I mean it. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm the Scully because I love being right and I love correcting <laughs> and scolding. You know, I've as I get older, I've I've started to, you know, train myself to think like, hey man, if you're not like a hundo percent, it's cool to say you're not sure or that you don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I, you know, it took me a long time. So maybe he can get there too, but I'm glad he has you to always deadpan point out <laughs> the corrections. Everyone needs a deadpan bilingual or trilingual wife. Um trilingual, okay. wait a minute. So English, French, and what else you got going on? I speak uh, fairly basic Ukrainian. Whoa, that's cool. I, I'm, I'm half Ukrainian. Oh, that's great. I am yeah. not Eastern European in the slightest. I'm French and Irish and uh, a little bit Ojibwe, but it's that my, um, uh, so a lot of my friends are Ukrainian. And so I just uh -huh. wanted to learn a few words to impress them. It's also that I wanted to learn something that had a different alphabet. Um, yep. At the time, I was teaching a lot of students who spoke Mandarin, and I thought, oh, I'm going to learn Mandarin, and Duolingo didn't have it at the time, so I'm like, uh -huh. well, I'm all jacked up on learning a new language now. Let's let's give Ukrainian a try. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's cool. I did a Russian for six years, so I can yeah. read Cyrillic. I can't really speak any of it but uh it uh it comes in it came in handy in my old apartment building lots of Russian oh, and sure. speakers that um makes sense. yeah so who is your favorite one-time monster or baddie well you know the problem is my brain jumps to eugene tombs yeah um who i thought <laughs> was pretty great but he was played by Doug Hutchinson, and that guy is a scumbag. Uh, mm -hmm. So, you know, you know, a monster that I enjoy is the monster, and this is a silly episode. Jeez, uh, I can't. Uh, is it the episode Arcadia? Is maybe the title? It's the one where Mulder and Scully pretend to be a married couple because there's like a crooked HOA that's like worshiping this demon. And this demon's like going around the suburban town and they have like uh, all these strict rules in the HOA and there's like a monster killing people. I can't think of the name mm -hmm. of the monster, but that monster story I really liked. So I, what would be Gene yeah. Tombs if he wasn't a weird fucking child bride guy? 
Yeah. So um, I will say uh, Flukeman from the episode, um, is it uh, the host? Um, it, it kind of, you know, just looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I will also say. Oh, uh, is this, to, wait, is that the episode? Blue... Okay. Oh, sorry. No, I was, I was just trying to say, clarify to to... the episode. <laughs> yeah, the, the episode is the host. Uh, it, it, I look at the face now and I'm like, oh, that looks like Goatsy. Um, but uh, oh, yeah. All right. See, now I know exactly the episode you're talking about by saying Goatsy. <laughs> it's the one where the, the thing's like floating around like the water filtration system at the end of it. That's where they find it. Yes. Yep. Okay. Just want to yeah. make sure I remember the episode. Yeah, yeah. I think this was also when, because, uh, oh, this was like season two or three. So this is when this, mm -hmm. the show had a much better budget for monsters. Um, and it really shows that thing still genuinely creeps me out. Yes. Yeah. No, a, a lot of the the monster work, like the folks they had doing the creature effects over the years, they would turn out great stuff. And like when you're thinking, too, about like turnaround time for TV shows, they must have had to really bust ass on some of these things. Um, that included mm -hmm. Miss, Mr. Goatsy, Goatsy Mouth. That sounds really <laughs> gross, but yeah, it does look like yeah. Goatsy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not here to be polite on, uh, on Peak Show. Um, so who's your favorite uh, recurring monster or bad guy? Uh, CBG Spender, a.k.a. the Cancer Man. I, I yes. love that old Canadian bastard. I mean, that dude is such a terrifying actor. You know, seeing him light up a bogue is terrifying. So I have to give it to Cancer Man. Yeah. All righty. Um, yeah. See, see, I was going to say I was going to say Cancer Man, and I usually try oh, to no! have a different. I usually try to have a different answer uh, than my guest host, but I think I. I mean, aside from the fact my misgivings about um, about you know the revival and stuff, I do think that like he is just one. I think there's something about a character who has kind of no loyalty will, um, you know, will sell anyone out, uh, violently sociopathic and has not an ounce of charm to him. Cause I know people love doing the charming villain type. There's not an ounce of charm to him. And no. I love that. Um, um okay. I just was, cause I, I was saying that I went into watching the movie today, the first movie I did also watch the lead into the movie, which is the season five finale. Mm -hmm. And all of the stuff, his, um, there's a part where they grab him, like Krychek goes and kidnaps him and brings mm -hmm. him back to, uh, you know, the, uh, what the fuck do they call themselves? The, just all the government the fellas. The, the city, yeah, there we yeah. go. Uh, you know, cause you said intergang and all I could think of was intergang. <laughs> and I was like, it's not fucking You gotta do syndicate in the syndicate. <laughs> Oh, the syndicate yes cancer man uh but there's a scene where he goes to meet all of them i can't remember now if it's in this season five finale or the movie but it doesn't matter the point is he goes to a meeting with them and they're like oh we thought this guy was fucking dead and there's the one guy in the syndicate that looks like robbie coltrane and you can tell like they're all pissed off they're yeah. like we thought we fucking killed this guy and now here he is we hate working like he's a bad co-worker is what i'm getting at. like on top of everything else the smoking in cars the you know threat of the shadow government well-known knowledge of alien invasion but he's also a bad co-worker worst worst villain i love him 
All right. So if someone were to gift you a magical DVD set that was either mm -hmm. just Monster of the Week episodes or the Myth Arc, what are you choosing? I would do the Myth. Mm -hmm. And that's because the Myth stuff, even though a Monster of the Week is what got me into the show, the Myth stuff is what made me stay. Mm -hmm. Um and you know kind of opened me up to all sorts of other like conspiratorial minded things you know like i got really into like three days of the condor and you know shit like that so all the government stuff and and i'm also just a big you know aliens coming down sci-fi guy you know mm -hmm. i always you know i watch like star trek first contact just like someday yeah. someday you know what i mean so I would need uh, all that. Also, because it's the hardest to remember. You're always like, so wait, who had the black goo when? And, you know, yeah. how many times was Crycheck murdered? So, like, <laughs> all of that stuff, I think, would be very helpful in a nice, you know, nicely packaged set of DVDs. Yeah. So I always say, like, there's, there's two ways to, or there's kind of two factors to choose between. If you are really into cool effects, cool costumes, you know, what can mm -hmm. they do with their good budget? You go Monster of the Week. If you want to see the better acting, um, because uh, with the myth arc, that's when, again, that chemistry between Mulder and Scully comes alive. You start to see your supporting characters and your recurring characters really come alive. You go with the myth arc. The reason I choose the myth arc is because I do remember what really finally powered me uh, to, you know, I think it was my first year of university to do a full watch through the series was because I was so compelled by wanting to find out what happened to Samantha Mulder. And I feel oh, like yeah. I I continue to care about her long after the show seemingly <laughs> stopped caring about her. And then I find out she was literally turned into like, a, you know, angel light. Good. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit of a whole like too pure for this cruel world kind of thing. But yeah. I don't know. It was... <laughs> It's fitting, I suppose. It's also because I'm like, oh, so it really was just aliens. It was exactly like it said on the like I thought I thought it was going to turn into something much more um, unsavory. Um, I f but I guess I feel like, you know, otherworldly beings murdering a child is a bit less dark than actual humans murdering a child. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I think that's a kind of a thing. It's sort of interesting, right? Like if 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 the X-Files were a show that was like more concerned with really dropping the hammer on the drama right the one of the ways in which you could do it is yeah he spends seasons telling the story of remembering that his sister was abducted by aliens and blah 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 but then yeah you just find out like yeah she was like murdered by a horrible child killer mm -hmm. and like really kind of ground everything again <laughs> you know just like it would really just bring fox Mulder like right to earth like oh, just vicious murder but it's a show mostly about aliens, so it has to kind of go that route. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So it, this is, I guess, maybe a little bit uh, similar to your favorite one-time monster baddie. But if there was a monster of the week that you think would make a good movie, ooh, that's really ooh, a monster of the week that would make a good movie. You know, I mean, if you had the Giovanni character, uh, the Giovanni Ribisi character, and made a movie out of that, I could see that happening. That would be kind of, you know, like a twisted teen movie, um, sort of like a murder by numbers, but he can, like, shoot electricity or something like that. Um, plus banger, like, 90s alt-rock score. Mm -hmm. um, and Jack Black, the king, 90s alternative everything. So, yeah, DFO into a movie I think would be great. 
DFW, whatever the fuck it's called. So I uh, hadn't thought about this because I added this at the last minute. So now I feel like I'm doing my lightning round. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I do recall. um, Oh, fuck. I just might have to find an answer and put this in as I uh, do my post-production magic because I am. (laughs) Ooh, now I'm starting to understand. I'm starting to understand what I put my guests through. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so who has been your favorite guest star on the X-Files? Uh, that is 100% Peter Boyle as Clyde Bruckman, mm-hmm. uh, which was something that I rewatched in anticipation for being on your show. And mm-hmm. he's just, he's beautiful on that episode. His performance is incredible. And it's, it's a really sweet episode, Clyde Bruckman's Last Repose. It's a season three. It's actually the episode that aired after the Giovanni and Jack Black episode. So way to go, season three. Two back-to-back bangers. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the Clyde Bruckman's Last Repose, it, it really balances nicely. And it's because it's Boyle, and he was able to do both. This, like, comedy and pathos in such a beautiful way, while also this really tense totally fucked up you know psychic dude trying to help them find this serial killer who's also psychic right and uh, there's this great scene where um you know he's of course under 24 7 fbi watch and there's like the dead meat detective like Mulder and scully had meetings or whatever so here's the third guy from the local office that you know is going to get murdered because it's the x-files and He's talking to Peter Boyle and he's you know, he's got a little cigarette in his ear and he's like, hey, so you know, Peter Boyle's whole thing, if folks haven't seen the episode, is, you know, he he's a psychic insofar as he can tell you when you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so the guy's like, hey, do you know how I'm going to die? And Peter Boyle's like laying on the bed and he just kind of like nods at him and he goes, he points to the cigarette and he says, lung cancer? No. And he just sort of like nods his head and the guy's like, phew definitely not dying of lung cancer. I'm going to light up right now. Like, it's so funny. You get this moment of comedy and he's like, I'm going to go in the bathroom. And so then like this dude goes in the bathroom and then the serial killer comes in and, you know, Peter Boyle's like, Hey, you don't kill me now. And the guy says, why? And he goes, I don't know. And the dude opens the door and then this, this murderer viciously kills this guy. So it's just like, it's such dark comedy and it's also sad and fucking scary. Cause like, Peter Boyle doesn't do anything in that moment. He just literally sits on the bed like, eh, what do you want me to do about it? Which is like weird, but understandable. He just totally hits it out. And he has that beautiful scene too. I know I'm kind of like verbal diarrhea right now, but he My- has that other, uh, the beautiful scene with Gillian Anderson where she, Scully mm-hmm. thinks that he's fucking with her and it's like, we're, we're in bed together and you're holding my hand and I'm crying and I'm just great. And she's like, yeah, okay. And then that's the end of the episode as they find him having just committed suicide and, you know, the tears rolling down. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. He fucking kills. And I think he won an Emmy for it or was at least nominated um, yeah. for like best, uh, you know, guest starring role. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure everyone expects me to say the Cran man. Um, I do have interest <laughs> in my life beyond the Breaking Bad universe. That episode um, does rule, though. Yes, it does. He he had such a great career in the 90s. I really get sick of mm. people who act like his career was just Malcolm in the Middle before um, before Breaking mm. Bad. I mean, Malcolm yeah. in the Middle is a great show. It's a great True. show. Um, and he is fantastic in it. But I think he, like, he also, like, could always do drama. I don't know why people act surprised that he could do drama. Um, 
Like, yeah, I mean, because yeah. I, I mean, I was kind of surprised only because aside from that X Files episode, what is it called? I think it's called Drive. Yes, Drive. Um, he also did I, a couple episodes of Murder She Wrote. Ooh, oh, yeah, I like As, that. <laughs> I I don't think I've seen both of them, uh, but you know, I used to hang out with my grandpa a lot, so I've seen Murder She Wrote. Um, <laughs> but um, he played two different villains on like different oh, episodes wow. in completely different seasons because he just oh, has one rules. of those every man faces uh, oh absolutely yeah. but i knew him as tim watley from seinfeld yes. uh, and and hal from from malcolm in the middle so when he went on you know breaking bad it was like oh fuck wow mm -hmm. dude's got it and he definitely did and yeah. i realized by the way i think you could do a you you here's how you'd have to do it you'd have to do a combo like Breaking Bad averse with Better Call Saul Peak Show episode because there is a fucking total valley in that franchise, which is the El movie. Camino. Oh, yes, it sucks so bad. It sucks only, shit. So there you, you know go. Like, there's your there's your valley. About how the X Files does levity extremely well. I think I realized recently. I was thinking, why don't I like that movie? And it's because. Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul actually have amazing levity, and that mm. that movie does not. No, it's, that movie's way closer to like torture porn. Yes, even though like my favorite thing about it is Fat Todd. God, I love Fat <sighs> Todd. Jesse Fat Clemens great. would make a good modern X Files villain. Oh yes, you, yeah, you are one hundred percent right. He would play some like school janitor that can like see something or well, he sort of plays a school janitor in um i'm thinking of ending things oh really i haven't seen that yet oh my god it is i know it might be one of my favorite movies i i love charlie uh, whoa okay my favorite movie of all time is eternal sunshine um which okay. is a way more accessible movie than i'm thinking of ending things mm. um it's a it's a difficult watch. Like that's the way I would describe it. It's not like, I mean, it is a complicated movie, but it's not, sorry, my garage band is being finicky. Um, yeah, it's, it's a difficult movie. It's not that it's, I mean, it is a smart movie. Um, yeah. I had to afterward, like kind of read the book summary and like, is that what I thought it was? Um, oh, okay. but it's, it is brilliant and haunting, um, but like Eternal Sunshine, I have like a limit on how many times I can watch it because it makes me really sad. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. yeah, it's it's him and uh, Jesse Buckley. Yes. Yeah. And okay. Tony Collette is in it as well. Um, oh wow, Mama Mafia herself. Yeah, or Mafia she, Mama, whatever her new movie. Once again, playing a crazy mom. So you know, oh, there you she go. has a type. Um, uh, no, my favorite guest star. I got to come back to Brad Dourif. Um, mm -hmm. I've loved Brad Dourif since I was a kid, but I kind of didn't know when I was a kid that that guy actually can really, really act. Um, oh, yeah. and you know, more than any other, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess you could, you got to give it to Bob England as well, but like more than any of the other like iconic eighties horror villains. And, um, there's something about everything he does that feels very sad and internalized. And so mm -hmm. I think he is great, uh, as this serial killer who, you know, is like is the one person who is able to get scully have one of her earliest moments of questioning things um yeah i think i think he's amazing and sympathetic and unhinged um oh i also finally figured out a monster of the week that i think would make a good movie and i'm going oh, back okay. to i it's an early episode definitely still in the vancouver days but the eaves the uh the little girls who are like um part of a russian cloning experiment 
Oh, um, shit. Yes. That oh, episode totally. is a great example of misdirect because you, like, you think that the little girl is just an innocent victim who, like, stumbles mm. across her dead dad. And then it turns out that that these little girls are, like, and it's the kind of conspiratorial smirk with which the two of them, you know, walk off to get their soda and their drug and skull, uh, Mulder and Scully and stuff. And mm. uh, I just, like, I love the scene where, like, Mulder is chasing after them and the truck driver clearly thinks he's some sort of pervert and he's like, I don't fucking care. Um, <laughs> like that's that's the kind of thing like i think we meet four of the eaves in that episode like you know give me 90 minutes of that and give me all 12 eaves because i think there was supposed totally. to be 12 of them all if right there's like some yeah some crazy little like girl army absolutely yeah all right so what is an episode or arc that everyone hates that you love so i don't know if everybody hates this or not but the end of six into the beginning of seven so like biogenesis because biogenesis is a real turning point i mean i don't know it's got some cool things in it like uh i'm a sucker for ancient alien shit uh i'll mm -hmm. put that out there i will watch a piece of shit history channel thing about ancient aliens i love uh ridley scott's prometheus big ancient alien movie um so that end of season six is like when they they're finding all these like pieces of uh you know thing with inscription on it but it's like oh this is like navajo writing but it washed up in africa so it's got to be fake and it just launches into this whole thing and it's also where Mulder like goes crazy and mm -hmm. it's also got like mimi rogers in there and a lot of it into into season seven like i think it continues for the first two episodes of season seven and it's a lot of like scully doing cool research it's really like scully getting down and saving Mulder. um but i feel like people feel like you know they already did ancient aliens with the movie like which i will say totally fine but the end uh shot i think it's the final shot of biogenesis the season six finale where the guy is like like she goes up to a bunch of uh like dudes like fishermen or something and the guy's like all right they're all scared but i'll take you real quick but i'm not going to stay there and she goes over and you know she sees the little metallic you know thing sticking out of the sand and then they do this really cool overhead shot you know really great composite shot especially for the time of this computer generated like spaceship sticking out of the ocean and it just has stuck with me like for years there's little tiny you know scully and this massive spaceship that she's standing on like just one part of mm -hmm. um so i think by that point in the series people had had it with ancient aliens but whatever i love ancient aliens and i think by genesis episode it also has actually i will say this is another thing about it it's very sweet Mulder and scully relationship thing which is you know Scully, it's kind of a commentary on the series itself in a way, I think, because it's the end of six. So we already had the movie that was supposed mm -hmm. to be the finality of it anyway. Uh, and she says to him, like, you know, Mulder, we solved it. Like, yeah, there's there's aliens, man. Like it was a, a total conspiracy. Like we we blew the lid off it. We won. What are you left searching for? Why do you still want to be in the X-Files? And he says, I still want to find my sister. And it's mm -hmm. just like, oh, it's just so, it's so well done between the two of them.
Mm. So um, I, I can't just cop out and say X cause because I don't think everyone actually hates that. I think you might be in the minority on that. Um, okay. There is an episode that's like season five or six. And I never normally remember these episodes, uh, the episodes names. But this I remember because it's the same as that bad Counting Crows song, The Rain King. And it's about a man who claims he can control the weather. And uh, it was criticized, I think, for people saying that it's, you know, too Twilight zone and not original enough, especially like the ending. I love the ending, which is like, I think Twilight zone in a great way, which is that it turns out it is not this crazy uh, fucking charlatan who can control the weather. It is actually the local weatherman. I like it because <laughs> like, it feels like a nice breather, low stakes kind of thing. And yeah. I actually feel like that's you know, especially because season six were heavy into myth arc at this point, it is a really great breather episode. And I think like not everything has to be terrifying. Uh, I yeah. I love the episode, The Rain King, which I'm checking and it is for sure season six. All right. So what is an episode arc everyone loves that you are not a fan of? I don't know about an arc, but an, an episode I will tell you I'm straight up not a fan of that I know a ton of people like is postmodern Prometheus. Mm -hmm. I just, the whole shtick of it does not work for me. Uh, so that is one, that is one that even on chronological rewatches, I sometimes consider skipping or like at least maybe kind of like playing on my phone while it's on it just it never worked for me I, and i know why people appreciate it and hey cool but nah mm -hmm. um i know that one of the most beloved episodes of that in and i think season four is generally regarded as like a beloved season um and i don't want to contradict that at all but the episode the field where i died is considered a very beloved episode i find it um the show usually does sincere very well. I find mm -hmm. it a little bit too sincere. I find it a little bit cringeworthy and um, it just doesn't hit all the right notes for me. So yeah, the field where I died is a little bit like, I, I skip it. Um, I'm it's not having that deep. trouble placing the episode. I recall the title. This is so funny. A lot of these titles with the show, you know, I do have trouble. So what, what is this one about? So you got uh, Michael Massey playing a cult leader and um, he's got, you know, like they walk in on him about to drink the Kool-Aid with his like, you know, eight wives or whatever. And then, uh, you know, they find that one of the wives who is played by um, Kristen Cloak from Final Destination, um, that she has multiple personality disorder, which fuck right off. I uh, seem but, to from the cult. I'm, I'm kind of recalling this episode now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And once again, and like, hey, I'm not a person who is um, who is like, ah, oh, cancel this or whatever. And even with mental illness, and I am profoundly mentally ill. Um, but so I'm not one of those people who's like, you have to be exactly perfect when you're depicting mental illness. I went through this whole thing when talking about M Night Shyamalan, but I really like. God, in the 90s, people love to talk about multiple personality disorder. And oh, sure. it's such an easy sci-fi trope. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't like it because in sci-fi, and this was no exception, it is often presented as a legitimate thing. And someone like a medical doctor like Dana Scully should understand that disassociative, di disassociative identity disorder is not what it is per portrayed at portrayed as at all right. um but that's not the reason why i don't really like um the field where i died i think 
it just has a lot of tropes I don't like. I don't like hypnosis tropes because I find like hypnosis is one of those um, tropes that I find is used more as a device uh, than anything because we can't actually write, we can't find good genuine ways to write what these people actually think and to actually find out how shit happens. So let's just use hypnosis or therapy right. or something. So yeah, um, and, and I don't I don't hate the episode, but it is an episode everyone loves and regards as this amazing episode. And I'm just like, eh, it's just it's just a you could wipe this from my memory and I would not care. Um, all right, so what is a moment in the series that made you like jump out of your seat or yell like, oh shit? <laughs> well, I remember being a kid actually um, in the theater watching the first movie, and when the slats open up and all the bees came out the sound design yes. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about it again just re-watching it this afternoon like the sound design is so incredible on that um that it when it just the whoosh and the doors open i screamed in the theater i straight up screamed in the theater um and as I, if i'm remembering this right too they hid those bees from that scene in the trailer because I think I'm remembering this right. The bees weren't done. So what you see in the trailer from that part of the movie is them just running and you don't know what they're running from. So you went into the movie not knowing that there's fucking thousands of bees. And also like, I saw my girl, I'm not fucking with bees, you know? Um, so yeah, that the, the whoosh, the bees, fucking totally terrifying and well done. And I yelled like a little 11 year old that I was in the theater. You know, almost 34 years old and I've never been stung by a bee and I'm really afraid to be stung by a bee now because I'm like, uh -huh. ooh, is this how I'm gonna find out I'm allergic? Uh, sure, so yeah. It I caused me to uh, die. <laughs> I, I'm allergic to bees, sir. Um, yeah, my, my best friend is also allergic to bees. So I'm like, shit, I gotta hold this together for him. Um, I will say like that, that helicopter explosion assassination is, fantastically done and i love big violence i love explosions so mm -hmm. that was like kind of like kind of dancing in my seat i will also say in terms of like gross shit um the uh there is the um episode Sa sanguinarium i think mm -hmm. that's how it's pronounced sanguinarium uh which is like a there's a lot of like plastic surgery gone awry and, and it's oh. so gory and gruesome mm -hmm. and there's the um there's the um like the lipo opening liposuction scene and it's it's one of those things i can't believe they put it on prime time it makes me want to throw <laughs> up but i love it uh so yeah i i will go with actually the entirety of sanguinary but especially the kind of cold open of it totally yeah all right and finally i'm so i'm so excited for this what is your dream x-files crossover and this can be serious or not Oh, boy, oh, boy. Well, the funny thing is, and I, I, this is a cop-out, so I will think of an actual answer, but I would argue my dream crossover has already happened. They made it way back in the 90s, and it was on The Simpsons. I yeah. think that's just, like, so, so great. Um, but as, like, kind of a neat thing, um, I would, and I'm not saying, like, the cram band needs to be in it or anything like that, but I would love to see... Uh, Mulder and Scully, they have to go to Albuquerque for something. And maybe we run into some old friends from the other Maybe Gilligan just Badger versus. and Skinny Pete or something. Oh, yeah, know? exactly. Just like, fucking around. That's a perfect thing, right? Badger and Pete 
and Skinny Pete's sort of fucking alien, or so they think. And so that's they make the report, and that's why Mulder and Scully come, and you have this really nice little crossover moment with Badger and Skinny Pete, Mulder and Scully. Perfect. And and because uh, I'm sure like they've dealt with a few meth heads throughout their time on the show. Meth heads are great oh, yeah. for sci-fi. Um, yes. I will also say that the character of Elliot Schwartz, who comes back for the finale, there's something I don't know who that actor is, but he's got like a very peculiar face. He's got like the buggy eyes and the big ears and the very slight frame. He looks like an X-Files character. <laughs> is they, They're great. They were great at getting kind of like just slightly off looking people. Um, yes. No, I know you're a fan of this show, so here's the build-up. Mulder hears about this uh, high school in middle America that has been engaging in grave robbing and potentially cloning uh, famous historical figures. And uh, this one child, he claims to be a child, but he is actually possibly genetically linked. And uh, you have an X-Files clone high crossover. Ooh. That, that would like, be pretty good. You could legitimately see them doing something like that in a self-serious way, like a high school of clones. <laughs> Wait a minute, Scully. He looks like Benjamin Franklin. Like that. <laughs> I could, I could completely see that happening. All the other way around, though, you know, because we have established that they are solid voice actors. You do a clone high episode. Uh, see, now I guess I was thinking it's like live action clone <laughs> high. But if you did like the animated beloved clone high. And mm -hmm. Mulder and Scully were animated into the show. That would also be pretty cool. Yeah, I would like to see it live action, mainly because I want to see how they do the Marie Curie character IRL, because she was the one who was like grotesquely disfigured. Oh, right. <laughs> Marie Curie may be horrendously disfigured, but she's a great dancer. <laughs> oh, Which man, is what I always say show... about myself. <laughs> oh, that show is is fucking hilarious. And I don't I don't know what the latest is on like the reboot of that, but that was supposedly I... happening. You know, and I was going to say this in our reboot discussion, I never believe when someone says reboots are happening because like, and I know that being a trade reporter is not the exact same as working in the industry, but I was an entertainment trade reporter for a long time. And I am just mm. begging, I'm begging media consumers to understand that cr there are many steps between creators want to do a reboot and yep. the reboot is happening. And that includes mm -hmm. being ordered by a network because it's, it's like people do not understand how shows are financed. Like, yeah. be, like everyone kept talking about this King of the Hill reboot, like it's sure to happen, it's sure to happen. I'm just sitting there like, no one has ordered this reboot yet. What has Mike Judge recently said? It's dead in the fucking water. So yeah, yeah I don't I mean, So many people have to say happen. yes. Yeah. And well, you're probably right. And the 13 episodes that we got are great. And, and it know, ends the other thing too, yeah, it's, I mean, it's all yeah. totally fine, but it, um, Here's the thing that would bum me out about it is I know that if they brought it back, it would not have, and I still don't know why the first run of it did, but I'm thankful for it. Like a soundtrack exclusively of like left of the dial music. Like yeah. just like where else are you gonna find like a TV show that has like the fucking get up kids on it? Like I remember <laughs> watching it just being like, what is going on with the music curation? Like this show's really funny, but also like top to bottom bangers on the soundtrack department. Uh, and you know that it would just be ruined with, like, music of the youngs today or something. <laughs> well, and also, like, Clone High was mainly a send-up of teen dramas at the time. Mm -hmm. And teen dramas are not the same now. Teen dramas are True. all, like, just very... 
trying to be prestige and I don't know how well they're doing at that. Um, right, so, right. Yeah. So now we have finally come to the peak. So peak, I always say peak means different things for different people. It could be quality peak. When you were you the most in, into it? When was mm -hmm. the most like itself? What is peak X-Files for you, Andrew Jubin? Peak X-Files for me is everything up and including the first movie. Mm -hmm. While there's a lot of stuff that I like in the rest of it, there's so much about that that is all so nicely tied together. I mean, the season five finale is Cancer Man burning the office. So mm -hmm. all, you see all of Mulder's you know, folders and everything go up, except, of course, for the Samantha Mulder folder. That's the one that he takes before he lights it up. But so, like, the X-Files is kind of shuttered. Scully wants to go back to being a doctor, yada, yada. So you can, there's clear, like, they're wrapping this up. The episode even starts with, like, Skinner poking around the office, and he's looking at, like, Mulder's, you know, like, wall of newspaper articles and photos, and it's all, like, previous episodes that you remember. So it so feels like a series finale. And mm -hmm. then you get into the movie, and, I mean, it was such a great, like, how could you more perfectly do this, right? They They both of them fall off the top of a spaceship in Antarctica, he sees it and she's too fucked up on the cure <laughs> for the, the 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 disease to see it the whole time he's like just look up scully look it's amazing <laughs> and she misses it so then you end it still with like even though she was inside it and then fell off it and it flipped over her head she remains a skeptic you know it's just it ends so nicely um but then like you can feel like that's it's one of the things that my one of my problems with the way that the the movie ends is you can see them going back into the x-files right like my perfect shot to end in that movie is like on the ship disappearing and that's the end of it and they're okay. just in antarctica and whatever they'll get out somehow but then they have those follow-up scenes where like blythe danner is like well I don't know about any of this. What what resources do we have to investigate any of this? And Scully's like, well, there was a department, but I don't know who's qualified to do it now. And then it's like, X-Files reopened at the end of the movie. So whatever. You yeah. know, Fox twisted his arm and put a fucking dump truck of money up to him and made <laughs> a bunch more seasons of television instead of a movie series. But hey, that's cool. Anyway, sorry, verbal diarrhea again. It stops at the movie, even though there's a lot of great stuff after that. Mm -hmm. and you bring up such a good point because I was thinking there's something about the X-Files that like, there are so many times, like there are only so many ways and in instances in which Scully can like walk into a room and see something just like floating in the middle of the air and like not believe, but like they still yep. found very artful ways for her to be like, no, there's an explanation for this. It actually, like it could have bordered on funny or become like really tear your hair out. And it kind of didn't, Yeah, you know? Um, yeah. It always sort of worked out. I mean, and they even kind of played with it at the early goings of that sixth season. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he has some line where he's like, Scully, it flew right over your head. She's like, Mulder, I was on drugs. I don't remember <laughs> any. And it's like, come on, Scully. It's like a, it's a ship the size of a small city of court, you know, yeah. but yeah, they do have their fun with it, but it never comes off like cheap or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I went back and forth between the fourth and the second. Uh, I hate to say that something peaked early, which is not to say that anything went quote unquote downhill. Um, mm. I love the fourth season because I think that has the best balance of myth arc and monster of the week, because like I said, I'm very split between which of those I prefer. And some days I'm in moods for one versus the other, but oh, totally. I think, I think season two for me, what it has 
that above um above a lot of the others is it's the it's the show's first real introduction of tension and stakes um you know like i like the first season but there there feels like it feels like there's not many stakes in the first season and in the second season when you introduce the scully abduction plot and the hostage plot um in in ascension um i think that is when the show realized like how tense it can be and like i can this is where I wish I had been a contemporaneous watcher of the X-Files because it's like, I wish I had been that person waiting for, um, waiting for the next episode. So I think very specifically that arc at the end of season two is the peak of the show because it shows just how strong these two actors are, just how great your supporting performances are, um, and a great balance of like, and it's, you know, Mulder finally having to save Scully and her having to be that damsel in distress that, you know, is something the yeah. show tried to subvert more than, um, more than, more often than not. Um, yeah, I love that. I, I feel like that's just a perfect arc of television for me. Mm -hmm. right. And, you know, it's kind of funny when you were saying about those, like, especially like three and four, I started thinking, I'm pretty sure this show was the first, like, non, like, cartoon or like sitcom so like first like television drama that was like appointment viewing for me because mm -hmm. what where you're talking about is where i started watching it and that was the first time i ever experienced real like holy shit i have to see the new one of these yeah. every week let us let's go like i don't want to miss one um and yeah it's probably because that's it really is the strongest stuff mm -hmm. i'm sure i've mentioned this on the show before but i like i'm ready for appointment viewing again um mm -hmm. and uh yep. friend of the show friend of the show frederick blickard uh writer for android authority um he wrote a fantastic um piece i think for android authority about how apple tv is kind of part of bringing that back hopefully mm -hmm. um loved severance and that was like because yeah. right now besides sports i'm not an appointment tv viewer it's basically sports mm -hmm. and great canadian baking show um okay yeah, there's a Canadian version. It's very sweet. Uh, Dan Levy was the host for the first couple seasons. I've I've heard of these Levy hosting seasons, and I, I hope we get it here someday. It's um, I actually think the bakers are better than the British. Um, oh. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe we all have like mandatory pastry training here in Canada. We <laughs> mandatory French and mandatory pastry training. But um, like so, I don't. I think like Severance, as well as actually the M Night Show, uh, Servant, Servant, yes, yeah, Servant. Those oh, are shows yeah. that it's it's really good. Interestingly, is it? okay. Um, it's like Rupert Grint is fantastic on it. He's he's a great weird okay. little guy. I like that he's kind of a weird little guy now. He's um, developed into a very nice weird little guy. I saw him. Mm -hmm. He did a um, an episode of that Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities that's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a great little like sort of Twilight Zone Outer Limit kind of show. So he did a he was a weirdo there. He's a weirdo in Knock at the Cabin. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I haven't was, seen it yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Check it out. But I've been right. dancing around kind of watching this M Night show. So you're the first person I know that actually watched it, which is the case with a lot of fucking Apple TV. That's not Ted Lasso, right? Uh, like they they don't market their stuff particularly well, and the interview nope. like. I will, I strongly maintain the only thing Netflix really has going for it anymore above other streamers is that it has the best interface. It's like, yeah, you know, uh, even Disney plus, it is like impossible to like find where I left off and shit. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be a user of CBC gem. That's a Canadian thing, but yeah, it's, uh, it's everything else is so bad. Um, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, the servant also has a bit of a plot point about a baby dying from being left in a hot, hot car. And that's always like my, like, especially like when I was around college age, like people would be like, okay, you know, what's your name? What's your major? What's a fun fact about yourself? And I thought, I always thought people would find it really interesting. It's like, oh yeah, my name's Bree. I'm an English and cultural studies major. I'm from North Bay. Uh, my dad left me in a hot car when I was about one once. <laughs> Oh, that was your icebreaker? <laughs> I mean, I lived, so. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, what, do you remember any of the reactions? Um, so I think it was just a matter of my dad literally forgot I existed. Um, and if, if it's summertime, I was born in June. So I'm talking, I'm about a year old, probably. And um, we were at my grandparents' cottage and my mom was like, okay, I'll bring the other two over to the beach. You go to the cabin and unpack. So my dad goes and unpacks and then walks over to the beach. It must have been about 15, 20 minutes. And he comes, he walks over to the beach. And my mom's just like, where's the baby? And my dad oh, just like no. bolted back to the cabin <laughs> on foot. My mom said she hasn't seen my dad run since then. So, um, <laughs> but I, I really do think there's no other explanation than my dad forgot I existed for a moment. And for the record, I am his favorite, but uh, he just, <laughs> he forgot about me. <laughs> I grew up in a house with three kids. Someone was always missing. You know, it's it's the youngest <laughs> kid thing. Um, oh, yeah. So uh, how big is the gap between the best and the worst of the X-Files for you? Oh, like the Grand Canyon. I it's mean. This might be the biggest quality gap of a show. For a show that doesn't really have much bad to it, this is like, if the Scully abduction plots or, you know, the, you know, plot to finally destroy this, or like you talked about that great fire scene, if that's an A+, plus, there's a lot of Fs on this show. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a show that, you know, on one side of things achieved like, you know, transcendence for me right just like this it is a this show is a large part of my makeup it's a large part of my like pop culture obsessiveness that i live with today you know used to make my living uh but then there's also like that episode where scully's chasing the haunted doll and it fucking and that was like written by Stephen King, even, and it's garbage. And so, but he you know, writes I, a lot of garbage. Yeah, I love I mean, him, true. but he writes a lot of garbage. One hundred percent does. But you think like if my dude is gonna, you know, debut on this TV show that's very much up his alley, it'd be something better than Chinga, I believe, is the name of the doll. So like, there's just like absurdly stupid shit, even in the hardcore golden years of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just. A, wide is the Grand Canyon. Yeah. I think for me, it's like the moment. And there are certain moments in the X-Files that make you like that talking doll is a great example uh, that kind of make you just go like, what the fuck? There are also moments like I would describe, you know, seeing that the cigarette smoking man is alive that I know this sounds melodramatic, but it makes your heart sink because you yeah. think like, did they really do that? Because it's like to, to quote Tyra Banks like I was rooting for you man like um I know like that was a moment that like and I I I think this show shaped a lot of the way like we talk about fandom discourse and stuff and um fandom participation a lot of fans really like questioned Chris Carter's ability to carry the show after that mm -hmm. I wouldn't go I don't think I'd go that far I love that people are like um 
you know, Gilligan and, um, oh, what's his name? Who is the other guy who is large? Uh, Frank, Frank Spotton is Gilligan and Spotton should be showrunners after this. And I'm like, Vince Gilligan is too busy making prestige shows with Ray Seahorn yeah. and eating chicken wings and being the happiest dude in the world uh, to come back to the X-Files. Like he's, we've given him his flowers. Um, I don't know if I go that far as to say Chris Carter shouldn't touch the X-Files again. I think we're being a little melodramatic with that. But, you know, to be melodramatic, it it is a moment that makes your heart sink a little bit because you think, like, the writers are still sometimes shameless with this show. And, you know, whether it's shameless in their silliness or mm -hmm. shameless in, you know, their exploitation. And in a way, can you blame them? Because at times the silliness has worked, you know, you do you wouldn't think like you wouldn't think voodoo would work on the show like a, a lot of their best shows or best episodes have come from this might seem a little silly but um yeah. so sometimes it really is as simple as it's a swing and a miss well that you know the thing with cancer man coming back in that revival right is like i mean one it's a betrayal to your story like yeah. we've said i fucking saw you explode but uh on top of that it's like you know it's almost as if they're so concerned about, you know, whether or not they can trust the audience to take a leap in a new direction or something. And so one of the things that's really poisonous about a lot of these reboots is when it feels like you're checking boxes, especially with like the presence of characters. So when you see something like that, you worry that the mindset is like, did they actually think people would be upset if <laughs> William B. Davis reprised fucking cpg spender like no, no one would have given a shit we acknowledged that he was gone i mean similarly a completely rotten episode in that reboot um and i'm surprised we have not talked about them at all but that episode where one of the lone gunmen has uploaded mm -hmm. his consciousness into a computer just to have that fucking guy and it's that guy 25 years older how is a ghost aging in a computer so like all of that it's just like, I, you know, I wouldn't have cared. I I actually am totally fine with the gunman. Uh, I love Frohickey's crush on Kelly. Uh, it's very adorable. Uh, but like, you have this chance to do a reboot. You're lucky enough to get to do this again. Remind yourself what made it good in the first place, not just like appearances of familiar faces. Well, yeah, because it's it's fan service. It's trotting it out. Yeah. And like you said, they tossed a bunch of money at it. And that's where it becomes really evident. Also, uh, the plot of that episode, people thought I was nuts when and uh, when Greg Daniels and I want to say like 2020 or 2021 had this show that nobody watched. It was an Amazon original called Upload. And that, yeah. I, <laughs> I love greg daniels like i think like, uh -huh. the office when it was great was great king of the hill he was amazing i think he was one of the best simpsons writers besides schwarzwalder but mm -hmm. um this show is a stinker and the very mm -hmm. the very premise of it is uploading one's consciousness I... I'm, I'm like <laughs> imagine imagine taking the premise of a universally panned x-files reboot episode and say i'm gonna make a sitcom out of this yeah all right yeah so on top of it it also has to be funny so that's that's double lifting because you're yeah. writing comedy it's got to be interesting and funny oof yeah that's a skip didn't greg daniels also wind up did play that? that was or that was mike schumer maybe one of the office guys 
maybe not. Maybe yeah, not. The, the general Mike Shore verse. Um, <laughs> So if you're going to recommend the X-Files to a friend, and I would say that it is believable that there are people in the year of our Lord 2023 who haven't seen the X-Files. Maybe they were too busy having sex in high school. Good for you. <laughs> um, you know, what sort of preamble or instructions or warning or any, you know, specific instructions do you give them? The biggest instruction has to be, and I think we've, we've touched on it a lot already on this episode, but it is hardcore of its time and mm -hmm. so to start in on it you kind of have to understand where we were mm -hmm. and like you know at the time and what that show was talking about then and you know you got to remember things like the the vast majority of the shows were, you know, we didn't like the internet you know i feel like so much of this is just you really chalked up to like this thing exists in such a little space and indeed, like when you notice with the quality, the farther you get from it, it's kind of less relevant and that space is a little murkier. But yeah, just understand that's a thing of its time without, you know, message boards and YouTube much differently about, you know, the government. <laughs> our attitudes have changed. Yep. Uh, so, you know, our eyes weren't as open back then and now it's mm -hmm. part of the um the instructions i would give people are there are numerous um like guides you can get online and stuff that tell you here are the episodes that are part of the myth arc and i will oh, say yeah, totally write that down on your little whiteboard or whatever and when those episodes come up go to your couch and watch closely everything else mm -hmm. put on while you're making dinner put on mm -hmm. while you're doing your doing your saturday cleanup you know that's mm -hmm. and because i i love watching the x-files while i'm doing a saturday cleanup um it's oh, really interesting oh yeah like because okay. i just turn around and like i see like a little you know a little weird little guy on my screen and <laughs> yeah oh i had this as a random note and i'm just gonna put this out there on all the talk about the breaking bataverse i had absolutely mm -hmm. mandela affected myself into thinking that mark margolis plays an x-files villain at no point does he ever but doesn't he just come across like an x-files villain wow you're totally blowing my mind because if you before you said that, if you asked me if he was on that show, I would have said yes. I think what I was picturing was his character on um, on Star Trek, because he does play a villain on Star Trek, does he not? He, he does. I'm trying to remember what the character is, but he is on Star Trek. God yeah. damn it, what is his character? At the same time, him in the wheelchair with the bell, you can kind of see like... Oh, totally. If there was some paranormal... <laughs> detail on top of that that's an x-files episode and you know that it would end with the little text going across the screen like did it an executive and all you hear <laughs> bell ringing yep. yeah uh you know when i tried to get my parents to watch breaking bad which like they love crime shows and stuff mm -hmm. uh unfortunately the first episode that they kind of like i were in the room when i was watching was the episode where they're hauled up in tio's trailer with uh with, or, uh, with in Tuco's trailer with uh, mm -hmm. Tio Salamanca doing the dinging, and they're like, "This is the most annoying show we have ever seen." <laughs> uh, I, I get that. If that's your first intro, yeah, absolutely. All right, Andrew. So, where can uh, our listeners find you and the wonderful We Hate Movies online? Yeah, totally. Uh, so you can find uh, new episodes of We Hate Movies every Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and then uh, you can find us screaming about all sorts of stuff, uh, television, 
such as Star Trek, uh, random Star Wars characters, syncable movie commentaries, so much more uh, over on our Patreon, patreon.com slash we hate movies. And I guess finally, our newest uh, venture on screen live is the name of the show. Every Monday at noon Eastern, we broadcast uh, for about like 30, 35 minutes. Um, News of the week, entertainment wise, uh, box office numbers, all that good stuff. Uh, And then that stuff sits uh, for all time on our YouTube channel so you can catch it whenever. Yeah. Um, and uh, I know you guys don't have any tours coming uh, coming down the pipe, but I will say, having seen your live show finally, it was a fantastic experience. Oh. Hopefully you guys are able to uh, get out on the road sometime again. I know it was a long time coming for you guys, so I just want to also congratulate you guys for being able to get back out on the road. Yes, and planes again. Yeah. Yes, we uh, we love going around and playing. And it was super awesome getting back to Toronto, talking about song, Pride of the City. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, there's there's some stuff in the works here. Yeah, we're working on stuff. Super duper. Well, as for me, I've been your host, Bree Rohde, and you can follow me on Twitter at prune underscore underscore Tracy, or you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Peak Show Pod, where you will get significantly less hockey content. So that's better. Um, <laughs> you can listen to our back catalog of, uh, of Peak Show, which features episodes on the aforementioned M. Night Shyamalan. We've got episodes on David Fincher. We've got episodes on the Scream series and for some reason, the Saw series. Mint Marcellus and I talk about <laughs> the peak of Saw, how it relates to uh, you know societal attitudes about torture porn at the time. We, I swear, it is a better episode than it sounds. And you can hear uh, We Hate Movies hosts and friends of the show on our episodes about M Night Shyamalan, Mike Myers, uh, Star Wars, and The Babysitters Club, featuring the wonderful Chelsea Jupin. So take it easy, and thank you for listening. 